One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Include, but is not late to talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, Kate and love they fight. I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up, so here's the Knights of Vader. Impressive. Most impressive. Thank you. The Bengals for winning and getting to the AFC Championship. I'm sure somebody sings our intro music, but this is more important. Today is January 22nd of... 2022 the Bengals have officially made the afc championship will they win it are they going to the super bowl we don't know that's future us to find out but in the meantime we're going to be discussing something far more nerdier than football zach's trip to florida anyways you got me zinger zach introduce yourself god dang it i i I am the focus of this episode it's weird not to like for the first time ever in what zinger almost five years doing this podcast not be the one leading it on the call so uh yeah, I, I'm a nerd on the internet talking about Star Wars who went and spent thousands of dollars to the Walt Disney Company. Thank you. <laughs> we got Joe. How's it going today, Joe? Hey, hey, good to be seen. Good to be seen. Welcome back, Zach. And of course, the Porteous with the Morteous, Chris Porteous. <laughs> Very excited to be here to discuss how exactly somehow Zach has returned from the unknown regions. Uh, true, but in an effort to... Zach forced a episode of Zingness to happen by just sheerly saying, wait, Ellie went to Disney and went to the Mm -hmm. Star Wars stuff. Mm -hmm. We need to do an episode. And somehow months later, Knights of Vader in all of its glory decided to steal from Zingness to do it with Zach's trip to the same area. So, Zach, you want to give us a quick overview rundown? I guess you went there. You stood in front of the Falcon. Was it everything you dreamed of? How's Book oh. of Boba Fett been? Answer all the following. Oh, Book of Boba Fett. I, I Weirdly enough, I don't have a problem with the Book of Boba Fett because I think the people making it don't care about Star Wars. They're just like, it, it's J.J. Abrams' Rise of Skywalker syndrome where they're just kind of shrugging it off, being like, it's just, it, let's get this over with. It's like the equivalent of a bowel movement. Um, technically, it's a healthy function, but at the same time, I don't think anybody's happy about it either. Um, it's a very unique space we live in currently as a Star Wars fandom, where we're getting new content that we're not mad at, but we're not technically thrilled with either. Um, again, it's that delightful kind of like period, very reminiscent 20 years ago, uh, in, in between 2002 and 2005, where everybody was like weirdly content, yet at the same time, not thrilled either. Um, no, uh, I have to ask Zenger though real quick. When that, when we did have that Ellie Zeng this episode, is that technically Zeng Wars? Cause there was some Star Wars content in there. No, that's, that's just regular Zygnus episode. Zygnus episode, uh, 271 of the podcast. And we are on episode. No, actually it, it's only because it was referenced in the most recent, um, Knights of Vader episode. So I know it off the top of my head because of that. Thank you, Chris. Um, for that and we are on episode 289 of zygnus so you that's a good judge of how long it's been it's been a while um all right so uh like i said i i have uh, as everybody knows as zanger knows 
I would say this Disney recounting is going to be very similar to like a theater going experience. Um, as in there's going to be copious amount of details that are probably superfluous, but I'm going to state them for the record anyway. Um, at any point in this, feel free to interrupt. Tell me to shut up if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks. Uh, so, like, again, copious amount of planning went into this. Uh, for, for the record, for those who you who have not listened, um, there's been a few, God, numerous theme park episodes on Knights of Vader. They were, I think, like some of the most like downloaded episodes back in the day. Now, most of our Mandalorian and Rise of Skywalker stuff is usurped that. Uh, as a kid, I, I was a huge Disney theme park fan. Uh, I lived in Florida for the first 12 years of my life in the Pasco County. Uh, because of my brother and his family, we for a period there between 2002 and 2003, almost once a month, we would go over to the Disney parks. So that's usually what I, that's when I cut my teeth on a lot of this and uh, have ever since then, even moving to New York, I was always obsessed with Disney theme park stuff, whether it be through just like, uh, go God, DVDs, books, um, later in life, YouTube, just like, like I lived in this culture. I adored it, but it wasn't until I'd say the last five years or so where I really kind of checked out because it became almost mentally draining when it came to the amount of like research you had to do to understand all the facets of the park. So I, I did check out, uh, but in, in preparation for this trip, I, I, I did like an insane amount of research. Originally I wanted to go to universal Orlando because I just did not want to go through all the effort to like figure out all the hoops I had to jump through to get to do Disney correctly, efficiently. That's just something that's just hardwired in my brain. If I'm going to spend the money on something, I want to do it right. Or I don't want to do it at all. Um, what happened, what really kind of caused me to switch from going from uh, universal studios to Disney was that my, probably one of my favorite rides of all time, revenge of the mummy was going for refurbishment. I think like January 10th. And when I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, no, like I, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. Everything I love about Universal Studios is now gone, whether it be uh, Jaws, Back to the Future, Terminator, it's all gone. So I'm like, I'm not, again, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. So I'm like, I'm not going to spend the money for something that I'm just kind of going to casually shrug my shoulders at. Um, so I went and bought a copy of the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World, the most recent edition, the 2022 edition. That's co-written by Len Testa, who we actually had on this podcast back in the early days of the podcast. I think at that point, it was still Star Wars junk. Um, and I did like the copious amounts of research for that. Uh, I booked a hotel stay at the Walt Disney Dolphin, which is not owned by Disney, but it's in the pantheon of on Disney Resort. So it would get you the early hour admission into the parks. That was a nightmare because however I bought everything, I kind of piecemealed when I did this. I bought the theme park tickets from Disney, bought the hotel stay from Priceline, I think. And when I did all this, Weber did it split everything up. Um, and for some reason I wasn't able to do the uh, My Magic Mobile Pass which basically is the thing you have to have. It's basically something that goes into your Apple wallet or your, I don't know what is on Android, the equivalent. Um, it wouldn't let me do that. So I signed up for the Genie Plus service, which basically is the new version of FastPass, but you have to pay for it. And because of this, I was kind of afraid because I'm like, well, I paid for the service. And if I can't add it to my Apple wallet, what's going to happen once I get there? Um, so I made numerous phone calls to Disney guest services, um, the last phone call, which eventually fixed my problem, called the previous phone calls didn't. Um, I had I literally dialed the phone number five minutes after seven a.m. Eastern, and I didn't get connected to a the appropriate 
uh, cast member until 1130 in the morning. I was on hold for roughly four and a half hours trying to get to the right people that actually knew how to solve this problem. They kept escalating me to a higher like IT team and every single one couldn't solve my problem until eventually what, what we figured out what happened was I was doing everything under my dead father's account. And they're eventually like, oh, so like, that's the thing. You're not George Weber. And I'm like, no, I'm Zach. And they're like, oh, can we speak to George? And I'm like, unfortunately, you can't because uh, he's uh, in a different realm of existence right now than the rest of us, which is a fabulous conversation to have with somebody at 11 a.m. Um, on a Saturday morning. So eventually they got it. They got it all relatively fixed because at the Hollywood Studios gate, there was an issue that I will get to in due time. Um, but no. So, yeah, yeah, everything's a goddamn issue. Um, so. What happened was my girlfriend and I, Rachel, she, her, she's not a huge Star Wars fan. I just recently in the last like maybe six weeks introduced her to Star Wars. We've been kind of like kind of piecemealing going through Star Wars beginning with episode one, The Phantom Menace. Um, So you're watching it in the wrong order. Got it. There's no right order. There is literally no right order because no matter how you do it, you're ruining it. It's it's some level. If I really want to be Hold on a second. I, I just realized something. You said how long you've been introducing her to Star Wars? Over the last like six weeks. Okay. I want it. I want it on record, Chris, on record that he introduced her to Dune first, Arrakis, Desert Planet. Zanger, well, yeah, because I was in theaters. You got to be really careful how you do this stuff. I, I support your <laughs> strategy, Zach. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. At one point, when we, like before we even started dating, I showed her like the first half of Rogue One, and she like completely checked out, like any logical person should. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's true. Oh, come on! The first half of Rogue One to a not like to someone who's never seen a Star Wars movie. Okay, to give a little context on Rachel, Rachel's never seen a Star Wars, um, but she's a huge, and this will definitely play into the story later. A huge Indiana Jones fan. Um, she actually has like an Indiana Jones, like Temple of Doom shirt that I've never seen before in my life that she got like in a blockbuster, like in the early 2000s as like, like somebody like as a kindergartner. And she like she wore it on the trip. I'm like, I'm so kind of jealous of this because I've literally never seen this piece of merchandise before, especially that like Indiana Jones merchant official Indiana Jones merchandise is so kind of far and few in between. Um, but no, so she, so anyway, though, getting back to the story, she's not really a big star Wars. Not even, it's not even that she dislikes it. It's just like, she loves space movies. Um, but really star Wars is something that really I've kind of shotgun approached with her, just kind of hitting her over the head with it. Um, so getting back to the story. So like we, we basically got to stay at the Disney dolphin. So we could get that early, uh, 30 minute entry into Hollywood studios. We, I booked it on January 18th, which is now something you have to do with Disney. You just can't simply buy a ticket. You have to uh, reserve your stay at the park. Um, more Disney is trying to figure all this stuff out. Um, we flew in Sunday afternoon, the Monday, the 17th. Um, we kind of just kind of gallivanted around the park, uh, around the parks, as in like, just like we rode the Skyliner, we rode the boat taxis. Um, we went to Disney Springs, which I will refer to as downtown Disney going forward, because that's how I grew up with it. Um, that, and that's where I really got my first dabbling of just like Star Wars and Disney post Lucasfilm sale, because I, I have not been to any of these parks since 2007. So really the idea of any of this being officially sanctioned by Disney is a wholly like novel concept to me at the parks. Um, walking through Disney Springs, downtown Disney, I, I, it was weird. Like there are so many shops 
that's nothing new, but just the fact that there's shops that ha- they're Star Wars exclusive, as in like they actually are just solely Star Wars shops. Like one of the ones I couldn't read, it was called, oh God, it was called Trading Post. And this was on the side of Disney Springs that had, I think it's the east side, I think by the Rainforest Cafe. Um, I'm not kidding. As soon as I saw this, I actually handed Rachel my wallet. And I said, don't let me have this. I said, don't let me have this. Let's kind of like I cry and beg for it. And as I walked through this shop, um, it was unusually barren, like almost empty. Like it was shocking what few pieces of merchandise they had. Um, They had the, again, a lot of this, I imagine Chris has seen in his travels. They had a DJ Rex uh, Bluetooth speaker, which I've seen now for a couple of years floating around. Um, Really cool. Um, until I saw the price tag of like, I think 130 or $150. And I was like, <laughs> no. Um, and, and they had some other cool things. Like, and Chris has probably definitely seen this. It's the Droid Factory uh, Sandcrawler play set. And they, they had that. And that was really kind of like, okay, like a lot of these things I've seen online for the last how many years. And it's cool to see them in person. Like that was probably from an action figure perspective that was the most impressive thing. Yeah. That's actually- uh, that's one of those pieces that the modern three and three quarter collectors were pretty excited about when it came out a couple of years ago, just because it's definitely the biggest sand crawler that's ever come out. Yeah. So I guess they had that. Um, they had some some few things from Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire Outpost. Like they had a a bust of Luke Skywalker from Crate for $130. I'm like, this is really neat, but like it feels so out of place here. Um, they had a couple other things like a Darth Vader Mustafar castle, a Sith chalice, like uh, a Supreme Leader Snoke uh, sitting on his throne. Um, I was really curious that if there was a little thing that like a little magnet inside, maybe that lets like the first, like the top half fall off. Um, didn't get to try, test that out in real time. Um, but really, and I think they had a couple of things. They had like some of the, uh, oh God, Black Spire Outpost animal stable figures. Like there was like a Bantha, um, a Tauntaun, um, maybe one of my favorite pieces of merchandise that I didn't buy. It was a Loth cat where if you pull the front legs forward, it actually hissed at you. Um, probably my biggest regret not buying it because it's one of those things now that I'm like, oh, it, it was kind of goofy, but I loved it so much. Kind of like with Chris and his, uh, oh God, uh, lizard monkey um, shoulder perch, which yeah. I can see. Yeah, um, I, eBayed well. that. I eBayed that like the, the week the park opened. I had no self-control at all. <laughs> but yeah, really. But like when it came to this like trading post on the east side of Disney Springs, severely underwhelming in a merchandise sense. Cause like I wholeheartedly like had a budget of like, just like stuff that I, like I was willing to spend money on if it really kind of like captured my imagination. And uh, I kind of shocked, like initially I was just kind of like, I walked out really not wanting anything. And I'm like, like, Oh geez. Like it was like, like that post force awakens feeling of like, like, am I a bad star Wars fan if I didn't want to buy anything? Um, but no, this is where the story becomes a little bit more interesting. And just one little bit of information I kind of want to just rewind to, um, for those of you at home, I have a tendency to kind of just pinball over the ramp all over around, um, about, I want to say about like three to five days before my trip, um, every morning, cause I wake up at an ungodly time of the morning around 3am for work. So I all, as soon as I woke up, I always checked the, my Disney experiences app to see if any reservations open for anything. Um, and one of the things that did open about five days in advance was for Savi's workshop, which is the lightsaber building experience, which will definitely play in later in the day. I'm um, sorry, later in the story. 
Um, so no. So basically, after I did the the Star Wars uh, trading post, um, my brother, who one of my brothers who still lives in Florida, he he came to Disney Springs to see me, and we went to Jock Lindsay's bar. Which, for any Indiana Jones fans in the audience, no, that's the name of the pilot from the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark that has like the pontoon plane. And uh, we went in there, and that was like maybe one of the best parts of this entire trip. Um, like, it, it is insanely small, this bar. And I should also say that, like, the week I picked the goaded Florida, um, the temperature was roughly for the first two days was roughly in the early 60s and had at least like 20 mile per hour gut gust. So like I legit had pants and like a hoodie on and you kind of needed that because the wind just went right through you. Anybody who knows Disney Springs, like basically it's a bunch of just like spaces where the wind just becomes a wind tunnel. Um, and so originally when we like we waited on line for about 20 minutes and they see us outside. And then like, once you realize that like the, with the wind gusts, like the temperature felt like somewhere in the high forties, we were like, yeah, can we sit inside please? And we, lucky enough, we got a table inside, but it was like definition of tiny. Like you're talking maybe at most a dozen to 14 tables inside. I, I mean, like almost abhorrent. Like I have no idea how this thing could have functioned like in fully COVID times where like you could do it half capacity. You'd be lucky if that, like, I don't know how you could sustain the operating cost. Um, but no, that was a, a really, really neat experience. I got this, oh God, green drink, some sort of alcoholic beverage. Um, it has some sort of vodka in it. And I'm like, okay. And it had like this on the uh, bar counter. It was in this like, like really neat looking, Oh God, like, I don't even know what you would call it, like container where they had like bubbles, like, like kind of going through it. So it was constantly just having that, um, oh God, uh, when you put the fizz into it, carbonated effect. And so basically I asked the, uh, the bartender, I'm like, I want one of those, whatever that is. It was good. It tasted great. Um, a theme of this trip was definitely that the Disney bars are the highlight of going there. Um, but that was neat. We got some appetizers, which were overpriced, but I got my, I, I felt like the ambiance alone kind of paid for everything. So that was neat. Like I, as a Lucasfilm property, I think that was the first thing they did with Disney did with the Lucasfilm property post uh, the sale was the Jock Lindsay's bar experience. And how, and it was and neat. How, how, how subtle did you find the, the, the decoration there? Like, did, was that something you had on the agenda before you went in or did you notice it while you were there? Um, I, I was passively aware of it as a thing because at first my girlfriend and I walked, Rachel and I walked throughout all of Disney Springs. And as soon as I saw it, my brain kind of just like my instant recall memory said, aha, like, oh, I'm like, oh, that's the Indiana Jones bar. Because like from what I could tell, um, to be fair, I didn't go through the place with a magnifying glass. There's nothing there that would tell you it's connected to Indiana Jones. You'd have to know Jock Lindsay is a Indiana Jones IP character. Isn't that a, uh, but isn't that such a weird, like, I'm sure people have spoke about this ad nauseum, but like, that just seems so baffling to me that it's like, you have to know what you're looking for to, to be marketed to in this one instance. I, it's, it's, it's definitely a weird thing that we'll get into with like galaxy's edge and that Disney made a lot of creative choices with, 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 I guess at the very least Lucasfilm properties, um, that you have to know what it is you're looking at to appreciate it. Otherwise, you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. They are playing to a very specific crowd. And it's that, again, we'll definitely get into this with the Galaxy's Edge stuff. 
um, because I think a lot of it, like getting into specific parts of Galaxy's Edge, you have to know what it is. Otherwise, you are just you're in the weeds. And I think I, I we'll, we'll get into it later. But no, to answer your question, um, it was not something that we went there with like a specific itinerary in mind. It was actually my brother who who suggested it, and it was it was a pleasant like coincidence where I'm like, oh, like if there was a place I was to go to at Disney Springs. I'm glad this is the place that like you decided on. Um, but no, it was, it was, I, I thought it was worth it. I, it wasn't expensive, of course, um, but nothing that broke the bank. Um, it was definitely within the budget of things I had in mind. Um, but no, it, I was not disappointed. And that, and that kind of redeemed how lackluster the, the glorified gift shop was. Um, I do want to say before moving on from the Disney Springs portion of all this, there was another Star Wars themed gift shop on the west end of Disney Springs, and this has became kind of like a reoccurring theme throughout the whole trip, was it had some of the same merchandise from where I came from, from the previous place, but also I would say like almost 75% different merchandise. And I'm not just talking about like theming wise, um, but like they this uh, from this specific gift shop, the second one, I actually bought a Boba Fett t-shirt. It had nothing to do with the book of Boba Fett. It was 100% original trilogy inspired Boba Fett. Um, but this specific t-shirt, I didn't see anywhere else throughout the rest of my trip. And so that became, again, a major theme was like every single store had very specific Star Wars merchandise in it. Um, and maybe about 15% of it to 25 was stuff you could find at other locales throughout the resort. I think- I think that was all very different uh, pre-pandemic because they started moving out a lot of the stuff they wanted to keep park exclusive to those shops and the websites just when they couldn't get enough people like moving, moving through the park. So I think there was probably a little more curation involved in the individual shops like beforehand, if you had experienced Galaxy's Edge in that brief window (laughs) pre-pandemic. I, again, I can't attest any of this because like, um, there's really only one specific specific piece of merchandise that I have been tracking for the last two years. Um, that when I written when I eventually got there, I was kind of genuinely shocked that it wasn't there in any capacity. Um, but we'll get to that in due time. Um, but no, Chris, it's possible. It's possible. But there's a lot of stuff. Like I said, none of this. Like I said, there was pretty much every. I, again, I don't. I can't. There's not even a single piece of merchandise that was at every single shop. Really, the only thing that I would say was even semi ubiquitous was some Boba Fett. I'm um, sorry, Book of Boba Fett T-shirts. Um, there was about two shirts, one with the logo, and then the one there was a hoodie that was meant to resemble Boba Fett's armor and jetpack. That was almost everywhere, um, and a lot of people bought that hoodie. Um, I saw that hoodie a lot. Um, the second piece of merchandise that I actually it, nothing to do with Boba Fett, but I saw a lot of. Um, if anybody's a Star Wars, I'm sorry, a Disney theme park fan, you know what this type of sweatshirt is called. It's a sweatshirt, but like it has like this weird sort of like, um, oh God, what's it called when you hear the football, what, Letterman jacket? Is that what it's called like in football terms, the Letterman jacket? Thank you. Um, Are you talking about where it's like leathery, leather sort of, but it has like the felt feeling? No leather. No leather, but like it has like the equivalent of like the uh, like a giant name on the back of it. 
Mm, yeah, I, I guess close enough. I'm just but it's it's something that like if you're a Disney theme parks fan, you definitely if Gideon's listening, he definitely knows what I'm talking about. Um, I'm, I'm I, sure Ellie's probably wearing one today. For all I know, <laughs> she's wearing some Stitch thing that I was like, oh, you need help getting across the street, old ma'am. And let's just say, um, she can swing that pocketbook pretty hard. <laughs> I have to say, like the Stitch merchandise. Oh boy, there was like. Like I would say if any particular IP at these theme parks, that is like a top three. Like there was like, there is so much stitch plush, so much stitch merchandise. Um, that thing is still, car- I would say that thing's probably carrying the water in a way that, oh God, like no other 2000s Disney IP can right now. But no, so like I said, like again, some like at the second like Star Wars like gift shop on the west side of Disney Springs, um, they had one cool Beyond the Boba Fett t-shirt that I bought that was, uh, like I said, like there was a, oh God, I don't even know how to describe it. It was a hoodie in the same like vein as I described, not a hoodie, um, in the same sort of like sweater style as I just brought up. And on the back, it said Skywalker Academy, but the colors and design of it were like Anakin's Clone Wars armor with like that blue, red, and like weirdly off gray, like like color scheme and i'm like oh this is neat and like i didn't buy it though but like i kept seeing a couple of people wearing it throughout disney springs and i'm like if i see that like at the park tomorrow i will definitely buy it um never saw it again after disney springs nowhere uh so i'm like that's weird to think you have like exclusive merchandise at disney springs but not in galaxy's edge or hollywood studios um i definitely thought i would have seen it like in the gift shop area post star tours no um Again, the, 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 the merchandise and the just eclectic, weirdly, like it's here, it's there, it's nowhere. Nature of it all was probably the most baffling aspect of all this. Um, so uh, with that being said, any other questions about the Indiana Jones bar or uh, Disney Springs in total? Did it have a cast of a Yeti footprint? out because i wasn't looking somewhere in the bar send because unfortunately i'm the only person on this call who does not have a, a webcam that is uh operational um i will sit there post a picture in our group chat of the couple pictures i took of of the jock Lindsay's hanger bar um it's possible uh he, his his uh portrait is in the bar oddly enough but i it, Again, I did not pick up on any of yeah. that if it was there. I'm sure there's a video breaking it down, but like I, there's got to be like it's got to be it's got to be loaded up with like uh, indie trilogy Easter eggs like the like the the Yeti cast is uh, labeled Abner Ravenwood and it shows up in the the Himalayas bar in the first movie. But I'm sure there's stuff like that. I, sure, just, I don't doubt yeah. it. I don't doubt it at all. Like I said, there's I remember even once like years ago seeing Pablo Hidako like tweet about it. And he's like, this is like the first like Disney theme park thing we ever got involved with. And we love the fact that we got to be so kind of like off the reservation when it came with uh, Lucasfilm IP. And like we really had a lot of like room to straight like kind of stretch our creative legs. Um, so while Chris looks at the picture I put like in the group chat. Um, the name of the drink I got, the green drink was called the Reggie's Revenge, which is Florida Cane Orlando Orange Vodka, Midori Melon Liqueur, White Cranberry Juice, and Fresh Lime Juice. And uh, yeah, for a $15 cocktail, it was neat. <laughs> yeah. it, came, it came in a nice uh, glass, which I wish I, wish I could have bought. 
Um, that will definitely play into more of the uh, later stories. Um, but yeah, it was neat. I could taste it. Like I said, the food, like I said, it was it all overpriced, of course, but I had fun. So uh, I, I would, it, it gets a, it gets a pass from me. It didn't have anything to do, no Indiana Jones title cards or anything like that in there, did they? I think if you scrutinized it, like I said, with a magnifying glass, you'd find Indiana Jones stuff in there. But there was nothing from just like a, a broad stance. Well, I would the, lead you to believe that was indie related. The, the picture Zach sent me has a, a party of people dining inside a giant fridge. So that's a that's an indie reference. That's not a fridge. It's like a submersible container. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm messing. That's around. a battle station. <laughs> oh, Zanger. Zanger, you monster, you. Um, but yeah, no, Disney Springs, like it, one thing I do will say that like I, back in the day as a, uh, like somebody who, again, like spent so much time at Disney Springs as a kid, because like you didn't, didn't require theme park admission getting in there now is like, we, like, you could just park and walk in. Like it was almost a glorified, like, uh, outlet mall in that respect. Now they have three giant parking garages that are some of the most like unesthetically, design things i've ever seen and on top of that all the traffic is channeled through like one glorified metal detector so basically you're taking like hundreds of people that are trying to get into this thing like every couple of minutes and everybody gets bottlenecked and like again i get it it's a security thing but it it is very disillusioning it's robbing the disney magic uh, again, I get it. It's something they they feel they have to do for copious reasons, but it just it was it was very jarring, like on a psychological level, relative to what I was used to twenty years ago with Downtown Disney. I don't know what's happened since then. Some of the YouTube coverage I've uh, watched, it seems like there was some bad problems with that when it was Downtown Disney back in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Something clearly happens. You don't install that sort of stuff unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was peculiar because I, I thought you had to pay for parking there. And uh, one of the very few instances where Disney did not nickel and dime you, I guess they figure between all the shops and stuff, you're taking out your wallet enough. Um, but yeah, Disney Springs, it's uh, it, relative to what it was like when I was a kid. And maybe that's just nostalgia tainting my brain. Um, a little underwhelming because back in the day, that was always kind of like the haven for like if you ever wanted anything Disney merchandise related. Um, you could sit there, drop hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in there and just walking through it as somebody who was ready to spend money. Um, all I walked out with was like a single T-shirt and it was like, OK, like I'm, like my wallet's happy. But uh, as a Star Wars fan, I kind of expected a lot more. Now, did you notice any um, when you went to these two shops, did you notice any um, like of the the contemporary Hasbro stuff showing up? Uh, outside of what I already seen on Instagram, an insane, absolutely insane amount of Black Series archive Princess Leia's from A New Hope. Um, and then uh, a little, like to one degree less, an insane amount of Black Series Return of the Jedi Landos. And only a handful, maybe I saw half a dozen uh, Black Series Orsings. Other than that, action figure wise, practically no merchandise, except for the sand crawler, which there was maybe a half a dozen of those at that one uh, spot uh, on East Disney Springs. Okay, so uh, I guess, um, like, I don't know, I'm I'm dying here, man. I really got like, I gotta. What's what's the experience like going into the park? Like, were you triggered by being tracked the whole time with your robot bracelet? And what what is it like? Okay, okay. 
Okay. T- tell me about the threshold. Hold on. Hold on, baby bird. I'll feed you about Hollywood Studios Day because that is a that day was a trip for so many reasons. Um, that 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 day alone is gonna be a lifetime of memories. Just as a Disney theme park fan, never mind a Star Wars fan. Um, so no. So basically, like in all the research I'd done, um, from the, the the unofficial guide to internet research. Um, from what I was, I, I deliberately booked a stay at the Disney Dolphin. I spent hours on Google Maps trying to figure out what was the closest park to Hollywood Studios, what was the most efficient way. Um, because again, my girlfriend, again, Rachel knew the sole goal of the Hollywood Studios Disney part of this vacation was I wanted to ride Rise of the Resistance. That was the that was the literal baseline for success. If I rode that ride, didn't matter what else happened that day, I would be happy. Um, so again, I stayed at Disney Dolphin. Any theme park fan can tell you that is literally a boat ride or a 20-minute walk from the Hollywood Studios gate. Um, but what happened was that morning, obviously, um, we woke up at like 5.30 in the morning, the park opens officially at nine, but if you stay on site, you get in 30 minutes earlier. But I had been told, read, watched that a lot of times they open the park much earlier. So that morning when we woke up at five and I woke up at five, she didn't wake up until 5.30. Um, I checked in my Disney Experiences app because at that point I already prior to this had my reservations at Sabi's uh, lightsaber experience. Um, but that morning, Oga's Cantina opened up as a reservation at 920. And I'm like, I, I'm like okay, like if we're going to do this, I'm, gonna, like, again, I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this for the podcast, like book the reservation at 920. I'm like, if the park opens at 830, if we're one of the first people to ride Rise of the Resistance, shouldn't be a problem. Because everything I read told me, if you don't get on Rise of the Resistance first thing in the morning, you're going to devote at least a quarter of your stay with, uh, waiting online just to get into this thing. So I'm like, okay, cool. So her and I leave the hotel at around 7 a.m. and figuring, okay, like we'll get there, I don't know, around 7.30. So we get to the front, like the absolute, like the absolute like gates of the park around, oh God, 7.25. And as we're walking, we see the Skyliners running, the buses are running. And from everything I'd researched, it said that Disney transportation doesn't start until about an hour before the park opens. So basically 8 a.m. Well, by 7.15, everything was guns a-blazing. Every form of transportation was running. So I'm like, okay, clearly there's going to be people ahead of us. Um, so we walked, again, really nice walk. That morning wasn't that bad. It was about like 55. So with a jacket and pants, it was manageable. Um, get, get to the front gate of the park. Um, what happened was because I purchased everything and what I was told by the cast member that I spoke to after I waited on, online on the phone for four hours, um, was that, oh, like, cause I want everything being done through my phone. So if I made any reservations for dining, a genie plus for an attraction, I wanted going through my phone so I could scan it and Rachel didn't have to worry. Um, we get to the front gate, my thing works for the ticket. They're like, uh, we don't have a ticket for her. And I'm like, like I said, like my, my, my blood pressure is rising. And I'm just like, it's here. I, I take my, I have my phone's already out here. Here's the thing for her. Well, she has to download the app. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, and, and, and again, with all due respect, it was the, the cast member that was helping us, quote unquote, was someone whose first language wasn't English. And they're like, well, she has to download the app. So we have to sit there. She downloads the app, logs in. Of course, she doesn't remember her password. Have to go through the entire thing. She logs in, doesn't work. 
And I keep telling them, I'm like, she has nothing to do with this. I, again, you try, again, I wasn't using a tone. I said, Hey, I understand things happen, but like everything goes through me. I have the ticket on my phone. She has nothing. Well, yeah, but she has to do it. And again, I'm again, anybody who knows me knows I'm like, no, you are wrong. I understand more about your job than you do. I've done, again, I've spent hours of my life devoted to understanding this. So one thing I've got to give Disney credit for was they have a bunch of cast members there who are clearly like levels two through four of IT support with iPads that can pretty much fix anything on the spot. So this cast member, again, God bless her. She waves somebody over. He comes over and literally within, I'm not kidding, 10 seconds fixes the problem. He issues Rachel a physical like, ticket slash credit card or whatever you want to call it these days. And it solved all the problems. So I'm like, okay. So it, by this time it's around, I don't know, 7.55. We go straight for Rise of the Resistance because it's the only ride that's open this time of the morning. It's the only ride that's eligible for early hours. Go straight there, get on the queue. We're walking all throughout the queue. It's all this rock, like, like faux rock formatures and all this. And it's really cool. Like you sit there, have like all the, uh, the further you go into the queue, you have like gun cabinets with all different Star Wars blasters with the flight suits, the helmets, like even like all the different helmets, whether it be for humans, for I beg nose, like it was really cool. And then out of nowhere, like Rachel says like, oh, like they're diverting us. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I, not to say I wasn't paying attention to her, but I wasn't, I was soaking in the ambiance. And so next thing I know, like I see a cast member kind of doing the, the wave motion and we're outside the queue, we're outside the ride. And I'm like, what, what, what the hell just happened? Like we were like in the bowels of the queue, what just happened? And as we're walking out, like a bunch of people like in front behind us are like, so we're getting the lightning lanes for this, right? They're like, nope. Everyone's just like, so what happened? Technical difficulties, the ride's down definitely. And I'm just like. Ah, uh, this sounds familiar. <laughs> oh ain't that the truth and so like we're all sitting outside the attraction and i'm just like like oh god i'm like this, this is the whole point for staying on site this is the reason why that like i paid not a lot of money for a hotel room on site because it is the off season but i'm like th this was the point of all this um and obviously every minute that goes by is like closer to because i hadn't had the uh appointment quote unquote for august cantina at 9 20 and they want you to check in, check in for that at least 15 minutes in advance. And I'm just like, I'm looking at my watch. And like at this time, it's like 8.15. And I'm not kidding you. They literally had every single cast member that was assigned to Rise of the Resistance doing a police barricade in front of the queue. Like you're talking, I wish I had taken a picture of this. At least eight cast members, like almost standing like arm's length in front of the entrance. And while this is all happening, there's three other cast members, two gentlemen that easily were in their 60s and one woman who had to be maybe in her, like, if she, at her absolute oldest, early 40s, all on their actual phones, just constantly talking to people. Um, and the whole time, like about every 10 minutes, someone would get on like, um, oh God, I don't know what it's called, but it's like where you have like the little speaker piece, like, around, like on a belt around your waist and you talk into it and it's there for a dress amplifier. Thank you, Zanger. Zanger going back to his broadcast uh, history. Um, Actually, funny enough, um, I use those in my current job, too. Really? Yeah. So what well, so I, I, I need to explain or I was about to you, say. You can. Those you can you, you can explain it. Explain the technical logistics of all this. Yeah, if you'd it's just like a voice amplifier. It's just something if you're in a group of people instead of having a megaphone, 
It's just it's it's like a step down from a megaphone. If that makes any sense. Megaphones it's, are too political these days, you know. Yes, yes. I say it's less obnoxious than a, than a megaphone. Yeah. So every ten minutes they get on this thing. And they're like, the ride's closed indefinitely. We recommend that, like, you go to other experiences right now, which is a joke because, like, you there you, isn't any, there isn't anything open right now. I, I would imagine maybe some of the shops are being kind of rushed open so they could alleviate some of the crowds. Um, but the whole time while this is happening, right? Ra- again, Rachel's not like I said. Like, I've lived in this Disney theme park world. I know how important it is to get into these things. Um, and she's just kind of like, like, like we should go somewhere else, like calm down. Don't be obnoxious. Don't like start butting into people. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to be obnoxious, but like, I also paid money to be here. So like, we're sitting there and the whole time I'm kind of looking at her and like, it's again, it's 830, 840. And I'm like, well, at what point? Because again, the ride take, because again, th- because of this ride, how elaborate it is, it's going to take at least 20 minutes to ride. So I kind of look at her and I'm like, well, at what time do we give up on this and like go to the like like the cantina? And she's like nine o'clock. If we're not in the queue for this thing at like nine o'clock, then we have to like leave. And I'm like, okay. Um, And the whole time while this is happening, you have like the barricade of cast members. And the question became basically because like I'm not kidding you, a horde of people amassed outside the barricade. So there really was no. Like, where were they going to start letting people in? Because like, basically it was just like a, like a group of people. Like you're talking like at least 200 people. Um, and there would be a literal stampede that they just opened this. They just backed away. Um, and so around, I'm not kidding around eight. Oh God, like 47, literally like, like we're talking at least 10 feet away from the normal entrance to the queue. They open up a little sideline. They say, okay, oh great. Come on through, come on through. And we were the literal six and seventh people to get on the ride that morning. So we make it through the queue. We're back online and we're going through the whole thing and pretty much like the, the get into it. Like it's neat. It's, it's a lot of fun. Like there's like very much. It's like, I posted some uh, clips in the Facebook group. Um, anything you've seen on YouTube, it's that experience. Um, just going through like this again, it's, a, it's actually a more fun queue with a decent enough ride element to it. Um, like there, there's the part where you have the resistance ushering you onto the transport shuttle and you have a animatronic of Beck, who is a Mon Calamari individual. And there's actually a nine numb animatronic, which I didn't know he was an animatronic. I thought he was a screen, but he's actually an animatronic that's flying this transport. That's a lot of fun. Um, without getting into spoilers of this ride, you get a, uh, brought into a tractor beam and you're on a first order star destroyer um that part was a little underwhelming for two reasons first um they they wanted to get people into this attraction so fast you really didn't have any time to wait because we were the first group that morning so you i would imagine chris even you've seen it like that part where you have like what the uh two dozen stormtroopers just kind of standing there in formation uh outside the viewport right Um, so those are robots right so i I just they're, they're I, static. They're static. I don't, I don't think okay. I'm pretty sure they don't move. Okay. Well, um, I just, you know, I saw some photos of that hangar and it looks pretty cool, but obviously to do a hangar at the scale that it's visible in the movies, it's, it's still smaller than that. So like there's a tie fighter, like I don't, and you're saying you got rushed through there, but there's a tie yes, fighter, like yes. on the side yeah. of the wall. It's did, there. Did, did it look undersized to you? Yes. There, did 100%. it look good? 
Yeah, it looks. It's it's again. It comes down to as a, as a Star Wars nerd, it it feels undersized. Um, to a kid, I imagine a kid would lose their mind over this if they're especially if they're a Star Wars fan. Um, as an adult, it 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 blends in nicely. Um, again, I'm looking at this with the scrutiny of a nerd who spent way too much, too many man hours thinking about all of this. Um, not just as a Star Wars fan, but as a Disney theme parks nerd. Um, but no, it, it's a, the cast member, one thing I got to say about all of this across the board, um, the cast members are phenomenal. Um, they, they really are in every aspect, they sell the illusion um, for better or worse, which we'll definitely get into later in the trip. Um, like I told, oh, oh, Chris, I, I gave Chris a small hand. I maybe had the greatest experience ever on Star Tours. <laughs> um, I might've encountered real aliens on Star Tours. Um, but we'll get to that in due time. Um, no, so going from like once you're in the uh, Star Destroyer hangar, you get ushered through and they put you basically into uh, interrogation, um, quarantine, so to speak. And that's a lot of fun. Um, there, there's some nice pauses in the ride, like how they do things like that make you kind of question whether what's happening is part of the script or if it's something that's weirdly outside the norm. Um, there's, some, there's some weird lulls that play into making this a much more authentic experience. And, and like, so like one specific portion of this is um, they put you into an interrogation cell and there's a stormtrooper on a screen. It, it's a 2D effect. It's not a uh, animatronic. And he's just kind of sitting there watching you. And it goes on for about, I'd say, as long as it needs to go on for them to get the ride vehicle ready. And you don't know what's happening because he's just kind of looking at you. He's looking to his side. Like you can tell like he's yawning at one point. And then next thing you know, um, one thing I got to say about Rise of the Resistance, it gives General Hux the respect and due that weirdly like, he didn't get in the rise of Skywalker. Um, who would have thought that in the theme park ride, General Hux gets more to do than in the final film of the sequel trilogy? Well, I think the um, reason for that's pretty obvious. Like we, we, they were working with Last Jedi information when they put that ride together. Oh, definitely. Oh, that, yes and no. Like the more you, the more I think about Rise of the Resistance relative to last jedi and rise of skywalker i don't know what they were working with um because again without getting into college like so i colin trevorrow stuff and whatnot um i don't know how much information they they even had did you I, uh did you did you go over to colin trevorrow spaceship and pray in front of it <laughs> that was there that was there um i never saw kylo ren come out of it um, but that was there. But like that ship is literally at the furthermost corner of Hollywood, not just Galaxy's Edge, but of uh, Hollywood Studios. That thing is literally in a corner. You really have to kind of almost seek it out to go to find it. Um, it's neat looking. It's cute. Um, but it's literal. But it's not anything to get excited about. Um, it, it really isn't. Uh, but no, getting back to Rise of the Resistance. Um, again, Hux and Kylo Ren show up. Uh, Kylo Ren threatens you. Like I've said numerous times on the podcast, it is episode seven, Kylo Ren. You never see Adam Driver's face for obvious reasons. And then like Kylo Ren and Hux get pulled away and you kind of just sit in this dark room for a couple seconds. 
And then next thing you know, there's this real, probably again, it's the small, it's the, again, the devil's in the details, but this is what sells me as a, a, not just a Star Wars fan, but a Disney theme parks geek. Um, you can tell there's somebody literally slicing through the wall with, again, Chris, I, I don't know what the term is, um, the thing they use to seal the doors, but they're using it to actually cut through a wall in the Star Destroyer and it's resistance people and how the wall intentionally breaks apart is so convincing because there's actually like, oh God, melting pieces, almost as if it were like a lightsaber. It's really, it's, it's a really, it's stupid, but it's a really neat thing that like, it's like as somebody who loves that sort of thing, like I was tickled by. So they open the wall they say, quick, quick, like, like we're there, like you can hear uh, John Boyega over the, the speaker say, like, this is a rescue mission. We're here to rescue you. And you get in the ride vehicle. Um, as Chris has probably seen, there's toys of it with a little black droid and you sit there and do that. You get into that and it's a uh, trackless. So it just kind of speeds around on its own. Really neat. It's neat. I don't think it's great, but it's really neat. Um, there's a John Boyega Stormtrooper animatronic, which I think Chris is going to love. It's John Boyega with the Rise of Skywalker haircut. Not not the episode seven and eight. It, it's the John Boyega with like the hair. His hair has grown out clearly. You're saying there's a John Boyega robot that's yes. not wearing a stormtrooper helmet. Yes. And you see you see him without the helmet on a couple screens, but it's an action. He's the only character in this other than Kylo Ren, that, uh, other than Kylo Ren and General Hawks that gets an animatronic. And it's episode nine. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's episode nine uh, fit. And is this a convincing John Boyega yeah. robot? You, you see it. You're in a ride vehicle when you see it. You're, you're moving really fast. Um, but yeah, like I had my glasses on the whole time. And at no point I didn't buy into it. Um, you kind of have to know that he's there because the, the ride vehicle is always spinning. Um, but he's cool. No, it's, it's convincing. Like it was neat. I'm like, cool. It's like, it's again, as a uh, huge fan of the Rise of Skywalker. That day I wore my Rise of Skywalker hoodie. Um I, I guess I, I ate it up, um, but this is the most interesting aspect. So, like, again, Chris has abstained from watching any ride footage. I've watched Rise of the Resistance footage at least a dozen times in the last couple of years. Um, so I knew all the plot beats. Um, so you go through all the stuff, whether it be the Adat Walker, seeing Hux and Kylo Ren on the bridge of the Star Destroyer. Again, the fact that they made a General Hux animatronic that probably cost more than I'll ever make in my lifetime um, blows me away like absolutely blows me away that that's a thing that actually exists. Um, but the thing that like I told Chris, I did not expect was for the kind of third act of Rise of the Resistance, there's a Kylo Ren animatronic that shows up to confront you. And we didn't get that. We get a part with the screen where Kylo Ren is either in the tie whisperer or silencer. I, at this point, as a Star Wars fan, I don't know which is which which is from Last Jedi, which is from Rise of, the, uh, Rise of Skywalker, he shows up in the TIE Fighter and is taunting you. And like the whole time, my brain's like, wait, this isn't what happens here. And then literally as the ride's coming to its end, um, I'm like, I'm leaning over the Rachel. I'm like, we got the B mode of the attraction. And she's just like, what? What does that mean? And kind of like, I, it's funny, I was texting Chris while I was in line for Smuggler's Run. And I'm like, yeah, we got the B mode of Rise of the Resistance, which clearly means that when they were having te technical difficulties in the morning, it was the fact that the Kylo Ren animatronic, the second Kylo Ren animatronic wasn't working. And so I did some research today, and apparently that is the B mode for the attraction. There are, there, there are a couple of videos on YouTube 
they're kind of few and far in between because this is the version of the ride they really don't want you to see. It's the fail safe. So in a way, I felt even more, oh God, excited because I got to see a version of the ride that at least 75% of guests will never see. Is, is the alternative technically interesting? Like, does it look like you're watching Like, does it feel like a substitute in the sense that you're watching a screen rather than seeing a Kylo Ren robot? Or is it like, oh, 100%. well done? Okay. 100%. Oh, no, no. It's 100% a screen because I did watch. There's some YouTube videos that are out there. Um, I will def, depending on when this episode goes up, I'll put it in the Facebook group. Um, we'll maybe, li- we'll probably link to it in the show notes. Um, it's noticeable, but I think if you, if you didn't know there was an animatronic that was supposed to be there, you don't feel like you're missing. I, I, I as somebody who knew the animatronic was supposed to be there, I didn't feel cheated. I'm like, this is neat. I'm seeing something I wasn't supposed to. Like, I'm not, most people aren't supposed to see. Um, so no, like I, 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 at that point, it's such a minute thing. It's no big deal. Um, but it's just fascinating that that clearly telegraphs what technical difficulty they were having that morning. It was clearly an, an animatronic issue, which is something I will get into later with my Smuggler's Run experience. I wonder how many of those they have. Like, is it just Kylo Ren that breaks down all the time, or is there a, a, t- get there. a, t- a TV we'll section? Get there. It, he wasn't. I'll just I'll put it this way, not to get too far ahead. The Kylo Ren animatronic in the latter half of Rise of Resistance wasn't the only animatronic that was broken that day. So, calling back to when Ellie talked about this, how like she was like they they were sorted off into engineers and gunners that's and different. pilots. That's that's smugglers run. Oh, okay, never mind then. <laughs> we'll get there, Zanger. We'll get there. So what was what was Ellie's experience? Because Ellie had like because for the record, when Ellie went on uh, Rise of the Resistance, that was still when they were doing virtual boarding groups. That has yeah. been abolished as of now. Yeah, because I was like, I never. You didn't get to any part of the story where you were on your phone desperately hammering away at like yep. refresh. Yep. Nope, because that's the thing, because like that's the reason why, too, I decided to switch this from Universal to Disney was because Disney got rid of the boarding groups, which in the Zengness episode, I remember telling Ellie, I'm like, that is a deal breaker for me. Like, I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars at solely the opportunity to roll the dice on getting on something. Yeah. I'm like, I'll wait three hours online, but I, I want to know that there is a guarantee I will get on the run if I put on the time. And uh, no, they, they did away with the virtual boarding groups. But the Probably thing I want because of people like you, yep. people were like, I'm not, because I, I know Ellie said there was a lot of people that would complain about not being able to get there. It's interesting you bring that up, Zanger, because, because again, I signed up for Genie Plus, which like I say is a glorified version of Fast Pass <laughs> from back in the day. Um, we eventually got off the ride at about 9.13. So we had more than enough time to go to Oga's Cantina. But on our way there, I pulled my phone out, got the gene, uh, the my Disney Experience app, which lets you book the next the next ride you want to go on with a return window. Um, Rise of the Resistance is one of two rides at Hollywood Studios that doesn't allow you to do that. You have to spend an additional $15 per person to get into the Lightning Lanes for that, which is the, again, modern equivalent of the Fast Pass lane. Um, by I'm not kidding you. By 9:15 that morning, all the lightning lanes at $15 a person were sold out for Rise of the Resistance for the rest of the day. 
within think about that. So yes, um, uh, on-site guests can start doing booking these things at 7 a.m. General park goers can start at 9 a.m. By 9.15, the $15 per person to skip the line was sold out. But technically within 15 minutes of opening. I, com- so I, I, completely, I, I completely get it. Like, you're, you know, you're there for one day. You're going to be super annoyed if you don't get on the one of two rides in the park. And $15, I'm surprised it's not more expensive. That, there you go. Um, so basically what happened was on our way to Olga's Cantina, I pulled my phone out, wanted to see uh, what I could do next. Um, I wanted to book a return window for Smuggler's Run, just to guarantee because I knew that was going to be a long wait. Um, by 9.15, the earliest return window for Smuggler's Run was 7 to 8 p.m. Ooh. At 9.15 a.m. So that's what, 10 hours? And what happens is because of Genie Plus – um, compared to what FastPass was, FastPass will let you have up to three return windows for any attraction at any given time. With Genie Plus, you can only have one attraction booked for a later return window. So I'm like, if I book this, like for Smuggler's Run at seven to eight, they're like pretty much I've wasted it, like uh, because I can't do anything else with it until I've ridden Smuggler's Run at 7 p.m. And Lord forbid if it breaks down or anything. So I just decided I booked a Tower of Terror appointment from 10 to 11, and I went on my way to Oka's Cantina. So I, I, I just want to point this out. So all this sold out. Who knows how X number of that, that they have. And I'm having to pay $7.99 a month for Disney Plus. <laughs> why, are, why is that not just being given out for free? Anyways, sorry. Side. What, what, side what, do you, what, what do you mean by that? Elaborate, please. Disney makes money hand over fist. Why should they charge for their freaking <laughs> video service? <laughs> what Zenger's trying to say is that if you're spending fifteen dollars to ride a ride, you should at least get a complimentary month of Disney Plus. Yeah, why not? It's it's like someone's sitting there and they're like, oh, I'll have this bottled. Wa- I'll pay five dollars for the bottled water. When they're openly giving away water for free right beside it. Real, real quick, Zanger, can I please bring up something? Um, because Disney has deals with Coca-Cola on every single menu at any of like the restaurants, cart stands, whatever. It says Dasani water, three fifty a bottle, and then yeah. right next to it, the life bot, the life water is five fifty. And every <laughs> single time I saw that, I I literally just I did a. Ha! Every single time I saw that throughout the day. Oh, also never ask for Pepsi or Mountain Dew. It is punishable by death. Guillotine by Mickey. Yes. (laughs) You just get dragged off instantly. All right. Any questions about anything of Rise of the Resistance related? Chris, Zenger, Joe. Joe, I know you are just so excited to start throwing money at the Walt Disney Resort. I am. Um, I I am. I know Uh, you have your tickets booked for the inaugural flight of the Galactic Star Cruiser. So um, before you make your uh, venture to uh, Central Florida, any questions? uh, Actually, I think this time of year would be the perfect time to go because it's not blazing hot. So probably a good time for me. You know, what's really funny you mentioned about that, like a couple of days before we flew out down there. um, I had I have family down there and they're like, yeah, you picked a really bad time to fly down here. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, it's gonna be 65. And like, I look at the, <laughs> it's like I look, summertime. <laughs> yeah, it's like I look. I look at the thermometer. And it's like, oh, it's a very balmy um, two degrees today. Yeah, uh, 
65 is going to be more more than manageable relative to a single digit uh, temperature. Oh, by the way, not to not to tough guy it, but um, it it it's sad at. I mean, right now the current temperature outside is 19 degrees. The high today where I live was 28 degrees, and was I one of those jags standing outside at one point in shorts and a t-shirt? Well, yeah. And I did get to, aren't you cold? No, I'm perfectly fine in this, as I was shivering to death. <laughs> okay. All right. So I, I want to, I, I just want to know, like, theoretically, if you asked someone who is like not looking at it from a, a Star Wars lore centric perspective, Rise of the Resistance is like the crown jewel, best achievement of this whole theme park. Do you feel do you feel like it lives up to that from a technical standpoint to everything else you experienced that day? Personally, no. Um, as a Star Wars, okay, this okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to that comment on three different levels. Um as a general just park goer, maybe, probably yes. Um, like I described it to Rachel, I said this is this attraction is considered a super headliner attraction, which means it's not just a marquee attraction for that specific park. It's a specific it's a marquee attraction for the entire resort um, on that level as a normie fish, uh, filthy casual. Yeah, I think I think it gets across the goal line um, as a Star Wars fan. No, I do not think it lives up to the hype. Um uh, and I don't mean that. I don't mean to sound that as, as a Debbie Downer. I just don't think it lives up to that hype. It's an, it's fun. It's a lot of fun, but it is not the second coming of like, wow, like this blew my mind. Okay. I, I don't think, but as a, uh, as a Disney theme parks fan, no, I think this is a, a definition of a lackluster attraction as a Disney theme park fan. Um, See, I th- it's a step in the right direction considering like relative to a lot of stuff they've done over the last 10 years where they've kind of like like uh, leaned on their laurels, but no, I, I it, I'll get into it in a moment with my experience on the Tower of Terror, which I'd never ridden before in my life until this pre, like last visit. Um, no, this is again, it, it's a step in the right direction, but I don't think this is the culmination of uh, theme park uh, engineering. Go ahead, Jeff. One question for you. Now you're you're looking at it from the lens of as adult Zach now. Go back to 10-year-old Zach. If you went through that ride, would you be hooked on Star Wars? I think the movie... That's the thing. All right. It's, well, it's, I don't think it's meant... I don't think it's meant for like hardcore... I agree with you and I don't. Um, I'll get some of what you said I want to answer at the end of all this because I think it's... A, I want to kind of like summarize my opinion on all this not just rise of the resistance because there is a bunch more here there's again there's Ogus cantina there's smugglers run there's savi's workshop there's a lot more to go with i, I think this is, is a, a a more comprehensive package i don't think you can separate any of this as a singular experience um you either buy into it or you don't as an overall thing um again disney did this as a harry potter killer relative to universal orlando um, and, and that's how I grade. That's how I graded it. That's how I kind of graded everything regarding Galaxy's Edge. Was is this going to be a Harry Potter killer? And I'm going to save my final judgment on that for the end of this episode. Uh, to answer your question, Joe, is somebody who is a 
I God, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know he's literally insane. Like I think in the last couple hours, he almost ran somebody over. I think he did run somebody over, like in a Prius. Um, my my first introduction to Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator franchise was with Terminator Two 3D Battle Across Time. Um, that day, that ride fundamentally altered my life, just how I view the world and what kind of rabbit hole it led me down. So I again, Joe, um, if 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 you have no experience with Star Wars and you ride Rise of the Resistance, does it have the potential as like for a child to get really hooked into this? Maybe. I hope so. Um, as a Star Wars fan, I would love any opportunity for more diehards to be accepted into the fandom. Yet at the same time, I think this ride is so dense, whether it be through the pre-show, um, the whole thing with Beck and Nine Nub on the transport ship. Um, there's even a point where I even forgot to mention that you go from, oh God, the pre there's a pre-show with Ray and BB-8. There's a BB-8 animatronic that's really convincing. Then you go to Nine Nub and Beck. Then you sit there like there's an entire part even before that with uh, uh, Poe Dameron's black black leader X-Wing. Um, then you have the First Order component. Like I think this is a very, very dense ride that doesn't know what its audience is. And I think, once again, that will be my overall thoughts about Galaxy's Edge to kind of tip my hand a little bit. Um, I think Galaxy's Edge doesn't know what it wants to be. I think it was a shotgun approach. Um, I don't think they had one specific specific creative lead. Um, any Disney theme park fan can tell you about how important it is to have somebody like that, whether it be Tom Fitzgerald, Joe Rohde, Tony Baxter. It's so important to have one specific creative lead that is honing the focus of the experience. And Galaxy's Edge feels like it's just shotgun approach. We're going to throw as much at the wall as we can, hope it sticks. Um, and I don't think that in Galaxy's Edge, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, um, but it definitely feels less cohesive relative to a certain uh, boy who lived across the street. I, I do want to point out that the accident with Schwarzenegger, uh, he was not driving a car. He was just running and ran over a Prius. <laughs> Dinger, did you look into that story at all? Because like, didn't wasn't he driving like some like giant? Vehicle yes, he is driving. He really like just like drove cannon. through a Prius. <laughs> no, he so, drove on top of like yeah. a Prius. I saw but a no, picture. I just wanted to make the joke. Like I saw a picture of his car on top of the Prius, and they were both standing outside in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to make the joke of it, he wasn't involved, as in like he didn't need a car to wreck a Prius. But no, his. His giant GMC, I could not see if I can get like it's some GMC something. He's yeah. come on, on he, had top of that he had to do something after GMC discontinued Hummers like 10 years ago. I saw a good meme of it where it was like the picture of them all standing in front of the accident, and the text was just like, I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, did I answer your question? Not really, but I'll wait until the end. <laughs> I I also Fair have enough. a question. Fair enough. Yes, Zanger, please. You're, you're you're telling me the animatronic for the for the ball robot was convincing as the ball robot. 
Yes, BB-8. They sold the illusion of BB-8 to me as he oh. literally wobbled around roughly two f- square feet of space, they, <laughs> like they, about they, eight feet above my head. They sold you the illusion of the robot being a robot by having a robot portray the robot. Oh my gosh, this this is so deep. We're going deeper. We have to go deep. This oh, is God. inception levels of like. Womp, womp. Yeah, exactly. As somebody who has to edit now, Chris. Womp, womp. <laughs> Zang, you don't even realize how deep it is because that BB-8 was made by some partially made by fans of Star Wars who started making fan-made R2-D2s in the first place. So it's like so inception. You don't even realize it. Dang. <laughs> not, not only am I having to pay for Disney Plus, but Disney themselves are outsourcing the construction of their animatronics to fans. Next, you're going to tell me that most of the stormtroopers are just people in costumes that are doing it for the fun of it. Oh, crap. That ha- that happened at least once, yes. At, at least once, probably numerous, probably more times than we could count, right, Chris? Well, they made such a big PR deal out of the the stormtroopers that were used in the final battle of Mandalorian season one being a, a crew of five Oh first guys that I think if it had happened in a big context since then, they would have tried to sort of make another media event out of it. Oh God. At some point we'll definitely have to do like a deep dive on like the weird sort of like dueling marketing campaigns of like the Mandalorian relative to the rise of Skywalker. At some point we'll have to sit there double back to that because that was just like, what if a unique time in the Star Wars fandom where we got like a shotgun approach of a new TV series, new movie, and new video game all at once? Something that probably will never happen again in our and, lifetime as Star Wars fans. And 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 of course, the who could forget the the on the first live action premiere of Force Healing right before it occurs again in the movie. Amazing. Which is something that now we have to realize that was unintentional on their part. There's no way they planned that. There's no considering how like is more like, even the last couple of days a story came out about how like Lucasfilm has is now intentionally kind of just dumping non-Star Wars IP because they don't want the hassle of like redirecting resources away from it. Like it has to be that like they just kind of back again. It's that Rise of Skywalker unintentional brilliance. Well, yeah, I mean, because it, well, the reason you know it couldn't have been planned is because the plot for The Rise of Skywalker was made up the weekend prior to the film's release. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what can we piece together to make a movie? Once again, my favorite Star Wars film because it is unintentionally brilliant. JJ 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 Terrio. JJ Abrams and Chris Terrio unintentionally backed into profound Star Warsness. Yeah, I mean, you know, once in a while an insane person wins the lottery. I hear you. Um with JJ is it the equivalent of a broken clock is right twice a day? Isn't that what the rise of Skywalker is for me? It's something more rare than that. Twice a day is like pretty, pretty successful. Um it's almost like the Cincinnati Bengals going <laughs> to the AFC championship game. Something that hasn't happened since 1988. Uh, I, I, have we stated for the record what Zanger's Zoom background is? I, I keep on leaning further and further back so more of it's available to you. <laughs> and more and more, so Zanger just blends into it. I'm hoping one day too. No, the, the background I have right now has changed from the, um, instead of it being the, 
the bridge of a star destroyer. It is a Bengals tiger striped background because I'm proud of them. They did something good. We'll see what happens in a week. They're great. Thank you. <laughs> like Tony the Tiger. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So, all right, Zach. Where are we going to next? Lightsaber okay. building. After, the Falcon. after this. So, okay. So by the time we got out of Rise of the Resistance, it was around 9.13 on our way to Oga's Cantina at 9.20. It should be stated that like anything at Galaxy's Edge outside of Rise of the Resistance and Smuggler's Run, the Money and Falcon ride, is literally a hole in the wall. So unless you have a ride map or you have my Disney experiences map pulled up on your phone, you will not be able to find any of this because like, like numerous times, Rachel and I literally had to like, kind of like double back to figure out where we were because everything is a hole in the wall. And also everything is in like ore brush. That's like a combination of the star Wars language and like English, I'm sorry, English letters. So like, it's a weird, like amalgamation. Um, When it came to Oga's Cantina, it's like, Oh God, between the Colin Trevorrow first order transport and like a blue milk stand. So we kind of went there. We saw like a bunch of people. So we kind of went up and like, hi. So like we have reservations at 920. And they're like, oh, like what's your last name? We give them all the information. And like, oh yeah, we'll call you when we're like when we're ready. At this point, it's like 918. So like maybe 60 seconds went by and they're like, Weber party of two. Like, okay. So you walk into the bar. It has like Chris would, I think this is the part that, again, as a Star Wars fan, it's the small details that you're going to absolutely eat up. It has the door, it has like the classic Star Wars door that just open, like swooshes open and close. And I'm just like, this is, this is neat. I'm like, as a Star Wars fan, it can't help but kind of put a uh, excrement grin on your face. And that like, like excrement grinning, like uh, excrement eating grin on your face, so to speak, because um, the door just opens perfectly. You're like, oh, this is me. I'm like, I'm walking into the cantina. Um, it's you see DJ Rex up on his little podium. Like I have at least three different videos on my phone of him just kind of like playing different music as he kind of just bops to the music. Um, walked into the bar. Uh, uh, in my case, all they had was room at the bar, which was great. I'm like, no, like, this is what I want. I want to sit at the bar. Um, Rachel, who's only seen episodes one through five once the whole time while we're sitting there, I am just literally quoting dialogue from the cantina on new hope. I'm like, I have the, the, the death sentence on 12 systems. And she's like, what? And I'm like, you better watch yourself. And she's just like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm a wanted man. And she's like, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, you'll be dead. And so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just confusing her more and more. And I'm like, it's like this little, this young one's not worth your trouble. Now let you get, let me get you something. I'm just just doing that. I'm I'm just like, I'm butchering the lines in real time. I'm just, I'm, I'm soaking in the ambiance because probably Oga's Cantina is the best part of Galaxy's Edge because it actually feels like you are in Star Wars. This makes um, me so happy to hear you say that. Like I, uh, my cousin went there not long after it opened. He was sending me pictures from inside there. You can't stress. I, I can't wait to check it out. I, you can't stress how much better it looks than the Galactic Star Cruiser Cantina from the video. Like it looks like there's all like there's so much detail. There's like an aquarium with like the the wart frog yes, that is yes, sitting outside yes. Jabba's palace. Yes. So like, did you take a good look at this frog? Is it moving? What's going on? I, I want you to know 
that frog again i, I again i'm an embarrassment as a star wars fan um his species name is one thing i've never like really memorized um i know his exact moment i can play it out in my head right now from return of the jedi um he is so much fun just because like we're where we were positioned i put it in the uh, the group chat right now i'm um, again a lot of this we're gonna try to put in the facebook group um he, he's a lot of fun he doesn't move unfortunately he's above the bar um but you can actually drink one of the cocktails is actually quote unquote made from his like something he's like uh Oh God, exuding from his body. Okay, well, that uh, so you're, the picture you just sent me, there's a couple inches of water at the bottom of this aquarium and it appears to be filled with frog eggs. Yep, yep. Which might okay, be so what's this, in the drink. So, okay, so here, bear with me for a second because like obviously this entire thing has to uh, play into my experience. Um, so like we walk in, it's like, oh God, oh God, it's, uh, it's, it's, 9 25 in the morning and we're kind of sitting there and rachel doesn't want to drink i'm like i'm at goddamn star wars galaxy's edge i got the ride rise of the resistance i'm literally the sixth person to ride the ride that morning i feel like i could take on the whole empire myself i'm like i want a carbon freeze drink which is one of the ones that has like the dry ice in the bottom of the glass um, it was an alcoholic beverage, so I was consuming alcohol at like 9.30 in the morning. And it's 5 o'clock somewhere, glug, 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 glug. Exactly, Zenger. I'm so glad you said that because I said that many, many <laughs> times that morning. Um, for those of you at home, the Bespin Fizz, according to the uh, the menu, is Bacardi Superior Rum, Yuzu Puree, Pomegranate Juice, White Cranberry Juice, and a Cloud Swirl. Cloud Swirl is clearly the... Uh, the um oh boy the the dry ice that's a part of it um but this is the fun part of it because rachel didn't want to drink she ordered an oga's obsession so when the bartender came back with my drink the carbon freeze he provided rachel with an oga's obsession so she looks at this and the bartender brings over essentially a petri dish with a spoon and he looks at her and goes, are you sure I can't get you anything to drink? And she goes, no. And how he describes it to her in that moment, he goes, just make sure to chew very, very thoroughly because if you don't, it'll lay eggs in your stomach. And then he walks away. And as a non-Star Wars fan, she looks at me and she goes, what did he just say? And I'm like, I think he told you to be careful what you're eating. He's, and she looks at me, again, 100% authentically and goes, is this like real frog's eggs? And he, and I go, I kind of just shrug playing into it. She looked, obviously, because the menu was like a QR code that you looked up on your phone. She looks into it and she knows it's safe. But this is kind of the brilliance of this, is that Oga's obsession, as listed in the menu, is Minute Maid Premium Lemonade, Cotton Candy Flavor, blueberry popping pearls with a bursting dried fruit mixture it was essentially like little mini jello balls in jello with pop rocks and like a little like a little like a poof of cotton candy so when you bit into it with the pop rocks it felt like something was moving in your mouth but between the actual libation in front of you 
with the cast member bartender selling it to you, it felt like you were eating something unique because even the little balls of jello had like little liquid in them, almost like a mini fruit gusher. It sold, again, it sold the illusion. And I'm just like, this is like, this is so much fun. And while this is happening, you have that like frog creature from Return of the Jedi above you and whatever he's excreting is going into like this little vat where they're pulling drinks from constantly. You have DJ Rex playing like this weird Star Wars music and the lighting is perfect. The bar counter, the bar top is perfectly lit. And I'm like, this is Star Wars. Like as much as I made fun of it being Ooga Booga's Cantina, um, and to this day, like it's I, I, again, give me a moment. I'll get into Oga as a uh, as a character in Galaxy's Edge. But even though it's not worse Cantina from A New Hope, this is everything you could possibly want from a Star Wars like experience because they only let in like like with Jock Lindsay's hangar bar. There was maybe I don't know twelve to sixteen tables in the in in the actual bar at any given time. Oga's is probably in the ballpark of 24, maybe 36, depending on uh, capacity. But at that moment, because it, it, you can't just, what's the word, breeze through it as a guest at Disney. It is an exclusive experience. And out of everything I did that day, specific Star Wars, I am so, so thrilled that I got to do Oga's Cantina because that was probably the only moment of the entire day. Maybe not the only, probably one of two moments throughout the entire day where I actually felt I was living the Star Wars experience in a way that as a Star Wars fan now for, oh God, over 20 years, I've never experienced before. Got a question about that, Zach. Did you at one point feel at any time that you were being rushed out of that cantina? No. They do. I will say that they do tell you when they're uh, seating you, quote unquote, that this is a 45 minute experience. Um, they do tell you that so they can. After that, they do have to they could escort, escort you out. Um, there's just so, as a somebody who's at the theme parks, um, we got in there around 925 and by 945, we were ready to leave. They are so quick because. Um, after I ordered the carbon freeze, um, I know I sent Zenger a text message because they had two other specialty drinks that come with novelty um, uh, cups. Um, one of them was a drink with a porg. Um, that one I wasn't too interested in based on what it was. But the other drink I actually did buy, it was it was called the Yub Nub. Um, oh, yeah, it, it is a... It is a Malibu pineapple rum, Sailor Jerry spiced rum, citrus juices, and passion fruit served in a souvenir indoor mug. Um, I saw one of these from like kind of like across the bar, and the it's basically like a glorified tiki cup, but the mug is actually like it has like etchings, and they're actually really cool of the Battle of Endor, where you have the shield bunker, the Ewoks the ATST being commandeered, the shield like satellite dish, and even the space battle with the Star Destroyers, the Mon Calamari, um, capital ships, and the TIE Fighters. Um, it, it, it is a $45 drink because you do get to keep the mug with it. Um, but even that, like, again, it was, again, we were maybe in there for 20 minutes tops, um, but at no point did I feel rushed. 
the bartenders buy into it because even the people next to us, like they, they, they were barely 21 years old and they got carded and like, they ordered one of the drinks and like how the bartenders were selling it. They're like, they're like, you sure you want this? Like, this is the sort of stuff we used to grease pod racers with. And they don't miss a beat. And then like, like the guy, obviously they pour the drink for the guy and he tastes it. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty good. And he's like, man, it's the first human we've heard say that in like 20, uh, 20 uh, rotations. And just like, I'm just like, they said rotations. They said rotations. I'm, I'm just like, oh, and like, and Rachel's just giving me this weird sort of just look. And I'm just like, oh God, they said the right word. And I'm like, again, like that was like, like that's everything you want as a Star Wars fan. Like that's, all you want is that sort of just like minute detail that like any other person would go right past. But as a Star Wars fan, you're just like, like, this is it. Like, this is living the dream. It's not like flying in a Star Destroyer. It's not being like in the, like sitting in front of the chessboard on the Millennium Falcon. It's just sitting at the bar, hearing the bartender just use such a small detail to sell the illusion. I like it. One of the things you said that this is was something that I was thinking, like, you know, just as a regular insane person, I was, this was something I was thinking <laughs> about a lot when I knew this park was being built. Um, just the fact that, like you, you mentioned, there was a lot of uh, Arubesh and I'm not I wasn't sure about this myself, but I, I thought the idea of making the park like in Canon would never work just because surely for navigational and safety reasons there has to be plenty of english all over the whole park um it, it, okay as somebody who did a copious amount of research in orbrush a little over a year ago for a tattoo um what they've done is they've melded the language like symbol wise with the english language and it's in english lettering so you like it's again they've done it so it resembles that font style, but you can read any map or anything within the park. Nice. Cause like, you know, it's like, not actual, yeah, like actual, like the Arubesh is just a lot of the uh, letters and numbers are identifiable as English. Like once you spend a long enough time looking at it as, as some of us have. So if they sort of found a 50, 50 point between the two, it would probably look pretty authentic. Yeah, no, at no point. Um, like as a Star Wars fan, like I want known that like with somebody who has a tattoo with many Orbrush letters, people look at it in, in real life, not like theme park stuff. And they're like, why do you have Russian on your leg? And I'm just like, no, like, no, it's, it's Star Wars nonsense. I'm like, the lightsabers don't give it away. And how about, um, how about red exit signs where there are a lot of those? Uh, uh, like like safety like osha like, like yeah like classic like like, like you must oh, have no, those, according those, to the law exit well yeah signs. yeah th those those are those are like 100 like english exit signs <laughs> there's no orbrush exit signs unless they are themed to be that way no like, like again there's, there's certain things they can't play with um yeah the there, there, there's you're thinking of is cyrillic <laughs> thank you zanger thank you zanger <laughs> Sanger did his research this morning. He read Merriam-Webster's before uh, heading to the gym. <laughs> no, man, I do that at the gym. You got to lift, lift and read, man, lift and read. <laughs> you got to exercise both the brain and the muscle. And the body. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, no, Olga's Cantina. Um, I got the mug. 
Um, like I walked out of there, even like walking out of there, I'll put it in the wait, wait, wait. So, 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 so you have that porg mug? No, I didn't get the porg mug. I got the Endor mug. Oh, the porg mug was the people next to me got that. And like, I asked the bartender, I'm like, Hey, um, can I have a picture of that? And he's like, sure. And he kind of left it on the uh, bar top as I, uh, um, as I took a picture of it a couple of times. Okay. If you I, was about know, to say, I did text Zenger in real time, like as I was sitting in front of the bar. Which, which, by the way, I can confirm it was before 10 Eastern time when that was text to me. So I will, I will say one thing though about like the alcohol content of these beverages. I, I, all I had that morning was an apple for breakfast, but oh. like I had, I had two drinks and I felt those drinks walking from Ogus Cantina to Tower Terror on the other side of the park. I felt those drinks. Like I had a really nice time walking from one corner of Hollywood studios to the other. Like it was a nice, nice walk at like nine 50 in the morning. Okay. So like, you know, uh, like I, uh, like I fortunately did get to experience tower of terror, not that long ago. Uh, You know, it feels like that your brain's floating in your skull cavity. It's a real, it's a good time, but like moving on back to like, where did you, where did you go in galaxy's edge after tower of terror? Or was there something amazing there that you have to tell us about? Oh, no, I I, just real quick. I'll be very brief about my non-star Wars uh, theme park experience. Um, Did you find my hat? I lost when I was there in the nineties. What kind of hat was it, Zanger? I don't know, but I know I lost it. <laughs> oh, boy. I assume it was sitting there somewhere. Maybe it was my cousin. Anyways, there was a lost hat. Did you find it? There's like, did you find a hat in Disney? Um, <laughs> there was a there was a hat found, but we'll get into that later with uh, Indiana. Oh Jones. man, awesome. Um, but no, Tower Terror, just real quick. Um, as somebody who grew up in Disney, like again, I was born in '92. Spent so much time in those parks in 2002 and 2003. I never got the ride tower terror. It was always one of those things that, oh God, was in the skyline. But because of my nephew at the time being a scaredy cat, I never got to ride that. I um, wrote it for the first time this trip. And uh, probably my favorite Disney ride ever. Like it might be the fact that you get to see somebody doing a Rod Serling impersonation. I don't know. Um, had the time of my life. It was the only ride I rode twice that day. Should tell you all you need to know. Um, yeah, moving on. So after we did that, we uh, I booked a lightning lane for a rock and roller coaster, which wasn't from 12.30 until 1.30. And at this time, I think it was like maybe 10.30 in the morning. So Rachel and I, once again, if you know your geography of Hollywood Studios, headed all the way back over to uh, Ride Smuggler's Run, which had a projected wait time of 70 minutes. So I figured, okay, like, Two hours, no problem at all. We get on the standby line for Smuggler's Run. And Smuggler's Run might actually have the worst queue in the history of Disney theme parks. Um, We waited online for roughly two hours, even though the projected wait time was 70 minutes, which I don't mind. Things happen. I don't care. Um, But when I say the worst queue ever, um, once you move into the building, beyond the uh, one-to-one scale Millennium Falcon, there is literally nothing to look at. All it is is a giant like engine, Star Wars engine, that occasionally lights up every five minutes. And you have these disembodied voices of people working for like Onaka, Hondo Onaka Industries, 
who make these weird, dumb, like the office level quips where it'll be like uh, a century to uh, uh, main tech one. What is your status? And it's like uh, main tech one. I'm sorry, century uh, to main tech. Uh, nothing has happened. It's just these weird sort of non sequiturs to happen. And while this is this weird inane sophomore dialogue is happening all through disembodied voices of characters you never heard before this giant engine in the queue just lights up and goes and then just dies and that becomes the joke for roughly two hours is that this engine is clearly on its last leg or dead and they're trying to fix it you don't know who these disembodied voices are occasionally once every 20 to 25 minutes you'll hear hondo's voice he doesn't really do anything. He just kind of comments on what's happening and that's it. So um, did that dialogue reach a loop while you were in line? No, it did not. I don't think yeah, we heard impressive. the same thing. I don't think we heard the same thing twice, but to be fair, the dialogue only kind of picks up every five to 10 minutes. Well, I would have been, you know, it'd be appalling if it did reach a loop because, you know, they know where they're looking at an hour to two hour wait time. And how long does it take to, to script a couple hours of inane comments yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, while again, we waited online for two. It was, I don't think it was exactly two hours, maybe 110 minutes, but very much over what the wait time was, which is very peculiar because, from my understanding of Disney wait times, like when they post that outside the ride, they always do a thing of, of over overestimating the wait and then under, like, kind of like under in real life or when it comes to the actual time, undervaluing it or underestimating it. So they'll usually, in my experience from back in the day was if something had an hour wait, you only waited about 40 minutes. They, it's that over, it's that notion of, oh God, um, basically not making you wait as long as you think you have to be. And so we waited about two hours, which was expected, disappointing, but what we expected. Um, behind us in line was two grandpa, a grandma and grandpa, who you grandma was very, very irate about having to just wait online um talk to them a little bit just because we were there for so long once we got into the ride i have to say when they assigned us roles we rachel and i both got assigned to pilot and i almost did like a wildy coyote and jumped through the ceiling i was <laughs> so so excited to be assigned to pilot like i was just like oh well God. i mean you almost wonder static you almost wonder if they're watching and they're like between this group of four to six people, if we give the, the elderly couple pilot and co-pilot, will the riot occur? I don't know if it's that because like how they were, because again, like there's six people per cabin on the Millennium Falcon. We, it, it worked out that way. Um, just again, it's one of those things where like, like technically you have a 33% chance of being selected for that. Um, and, and again, we were a party of two because of Rachel and I. I. I don't know. I don't know. Is it possible, Chris? But I don't think the cast members are looking at it that way because their job is to just get as many people into these things as fast as possible. I will say that in that little like portion where you wait to board into the cockpit where you, you are in the living space, the Money and Falcon with the chess table, we were there for a grand total of 30 seconds. Cause like I had just, just enough time to sit at the chess table 
And by the time we kind of sat there, I, Rachel took my picture of that. It was told, get back in line, get back in line, get back in line. That like, it, there, there literally was almost no, like you didn't have time to explore. So it who was, is, who is the, describe the in-universe cast member that's loitering in the Millennium Falcon? They are, there's a couple, there's like about two of them. Because um, how it works, we've talked about this a couple of times now, is that there's a carousel system for the actual cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. The living space with the chess table is essentially a glorified queue, much like Rise of the Resistance when it comes to the transport bringing you into space, um, the First Order Star Destroyer. It, it, it's again, it's basically, it's making the, the line part of the experience, which I applaud them for. It's something that they've been doing now for God, almost 50 years, whether it be Pirates of the Caribbean or Haunted Mansion, it's nothing novel to Galaxy's Edge. Um, but how the cast member is explained is they're part of Onaka Shipping Industries or whatever the correct term is in Star Wars lore. They, they work for Honda. Okay. But so, one, thing I, will, but one yeah. thing I will say, before you get to that point of the Money and Falcon cockpit, from watching uh, ride footage of this on YouTube, there is supposed to be a Hondo animatronic. But when I went on Tuesday the 18th, there was no Hondo. He is solely, he was solely that day a video screen character. So which, he's supposed to be like in the, he's supposed to be in like the garage before you get into the yes. deeper part of the line, right? Yes. And we didn't get that. He was solely on a video screen. And while that was happening, you can there's clearly a point where the spotlight like is focused on something, and there was nothing there for it to focus on. So I don't know what was happening that day, but my conjecture is between the Kylo Ren animatronic and the Hondo animatronic not being present for both of these rides, clearly something was happening that day at the resort where animatronics they either didn't have the part or the technician wasn't there because in both instances there was no animatronic that's uh that's like a little disappointing it just it, it does make you wonder though like i mean of course like i've seen the the video of the hondo they've put them in some stuff on disney plus just to like like it's an it's definitely an impressive achievement but i think the ones that are actually supposed to look like humans are a little crazier but it's it, it doesn't make you wonder having two broke down in the same day like do they do scheduled maintenance like during park open hours like that'd be weird and then yeah. on top of that like 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 what uh, what frequency I, like i wonder if there's like a season pass guy who could tell you like it like there must be this, like some lunatic who goes to this who's like every day for a week and like they could tell you like like on average how many days is it down i if, again i don't know like i did not do the research on this uh if i had to guess and again this is my own speculation it's probably, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's certain parts when it comes to these things that are just, they just, they just can't get. It. It's one of those things where I think, because that's the thing too, we were talking about this earlier. I think it was Zanger. Disney doesn't make any of these things in house anymore. They outsource all of this. Like they do not, like back in the day, like whether it be Carousel of Progress, like any of your animatronic rides, they used to make these things in house. Now they design them in-house, but when it comes to the fabrication and kind of manifesting them in reality, 
that's all outsourced to third-party companies. Like, yes, they design all of it, so the copyright's there, so this third-party company can never make duplications of them. But when it comes to the fabrication, it's a third-party company vendor who supplies the parts. So it's always possible that if something breaks and they run out of the parts for it, guess what? You get, like, much like what happened with Kylo Ren on Rise of the Resistance, you get the screens version of the ride. And that's what happened. Like Hondo was there. He was talking at us. He was just talking through, talking to us through a screen. And maybe that makes it more convincing in one regard, because clearly this was filmed with a real actor and makeup. Um, I, again, once again, I don't think I was deprived in the experience at all, at least when it came to the pre-show, but it was just somebody who knew what was supposed to be there you can't help but feel like, oh, clearly things aren't running 100% as they would like it to be. Well, luckily, uh, the core experience of Smuggler's Run is probably something that barely breaks down as it's essentially a very basic video game, right? So, like, I, I, I want you to get there, but I guess what I'm really, what I'm, and because you haven't outright said it, I'm guessing it, you didn't really have a, a moment when you're going through the the falcon interior or walking around the outside of it during the queue like like is it doing anything for you this one-to-one falcon in the interior uh, i will say about the one-to-one the falcon is neat because as you're outside it is doing things um part of the soundtrack of the smugglers run queue is playing outside so you can hear things like well again even though while you're waiting online for this ride, you have all these disembodied voices. You don't know who they are. Like chattering is annoying outside. It's neat because it is it is playing into everything that's happening. Um, they'll be doing diagnostic text on the Falcon. Think very similarly to what Han and Chewie are doing with it on Hoth in Echo Base. There'll be things happening. There'll be smoke blowing off of it. Like there, there are things happening. Um, they are giving it some level of diagnostic while it's at Black Spire Outpost. Um, while, while, while Rachel and I were waiting online, Han and Chewie, I'm sorry, not Han, Ray and Chewie, slip of the tongue there, uh, were underneath it, just like waving, taking pictures with people. That was a lot of fun. Like seeing Ray and Chewie in the cast member they had as Ray looks very similar to her. Um one thing I gotta say, there I, we saw it throughout our day. There we saw two different Ray actresses, and I have to say, this is something very, very. Uh, oh God, I don't even know what to call it. Just a unique observation. Both Ray cast members were clearly of Asian descent. I don't know what that has to say about trying to find a facsimile for Daisy Ridley, but you could very easily tell that was who they were hiring. Just, it's, it's, it's just a you again, not good or bad. Just a unique observation, as in you could just tell what somebody, again, Daisy Ridley is a very unique looking individual. And that was, I guess, the closest they could find for uh, Central Florida. Just That's, It was just very interesting. It's an impossible task, really, especially when you have a real like like screen accurate Chewbacca they're like recasting a human actor as a I don't I almost don't think they should even do it when they have Daisy Ridley footage in the rides I I personally I, I would I will I the, will the human say, actors I will say that again I I saw the uh, the Ray walk around character twice the first time was under the Millennium Falcon second time was there was this very specific part in Galaxy's Edge above speeders like a bunch of land speeders 
where it wasn't just simply Ray and Chewbacca. It was also a couple stormtroopers kind of doing quote unquote crowd control. And again, it's convincing. It's a convincing illusion. Um, again, as, as a Star Wars nerd dweeb, can you see through it? Yes. But if you're willing to allow that like suspension of disbelief, yeah. Like I, I bought it was Ray. Ray's at Galaxy's Edge. Like, I'm sorry, not I'm sorry, Black Spire Outpost. Um, I bought it. Hook line sinker. Well, you you're you're the kind of guy who probably thinks Alden Ehrenreich is Han Solo. But uh that's that's uh <laughs> that's neither neither here nor there. I but I'm more wondering like like did did the way you sort of and I'm not sure if you had a chance to walk up to the Falcon like earlier in the day, like before you went on Rise of the Resistance, is just looking at it doing anything for you? No. As a Star Wars, like I said, I I never bought into that thing um, as like, a, like, it's neat. Like, they built a one-to-one Millennium Falcon. Like, I can appreciate it on that level. Um, but to me, I didn't, like, that sort of thing didn't, like, stroke my nostalgia or Star Wars part of, like, my brain. Uh, Olga's Cantina did more, more in that regard than anything else. Olga's Cantina did more to sell me of this is Star Wars than anything else Galaxy's Edge like related. So the actual ride itself, uh, Smuggler. Okay, run. we'll get to that. We'll get yeah. to that. So, okay. Rachel and I are pilots. I'm the left pilot, aka the Han pilot. She's the Chewbacca pilot. And the rest of the cabin was the two grand, grandma and grandpa behind us. And behind them was the, they were a couple that had to be like in their late 30s, early 40s. So, my job was to steer the Falcon left and right. Rachel's was up and down. Um, we did a really bad job piling it because at the end, we like had a very low score. And like the cast members playing into the whole shtick were like, oh man, like uh, Chewie's not going to be too happy when he sees what you did to the Falcon. So clearly we didn't do that good of a job. Um, but one thing I will say that like steering it left to right a couple of times, like as somebody who's watched at least an hour's worth of ride footage of this thing over the last two years, I like would tug it right and left and nothing would happen at the ride screen. Nothing happened. Um, I can't speak for Rachel because Rachel had literally no experience whatsoever with this. Um, and I don't, I even asked her, I'm like, were the flight controls inverted? And she's like, yeah. Cause like, as I would pull down, it would go up. If I pushed up, it would go down. So I don't know. I also know the people that we had is the engineers and uh, gunners were not doing their job because at numerous times in the ride footage, uh, like on the ride, it would be like gunners fire, fire your missiles. And there was a delay. Like the people we were working with or playing with, whatever you want to call it, riding with, were not attuned to what this was. I think they were expecting a much more passive experience as opposed to a engaged one. And Did that's you- one did you did you say that your uh, interface for the lateral controls appeared to be doing nothing at all? It felt that way. It felt that way because a couple of times like things were happening on screen. Um, and like any video game, Zenger can tell you um, there are moments where your controls literally do nothing in a video game and the game doesn't communicate that to you. Um, maybe that was one of those instances because a couple of times if you watch Smugglers One footage on YouTube, you're supposed to like, there's like these weird sort of almost like glowy square boxes that are supposed to be almost like a 
oh god a target for you to fly through kind of like like an aiming zone almost so like so you know where you're supposed to be in the ride i was aiming for those and it wasn't doing anything so i don't know if it was something where the game is just I keep saying game. If the ride is doing its own thing and you're not supposed to be in charge of it, or my controls are maybe not functioning properly, or maybe I was doing something wrong. I don't know. Cause clearly like I was a hunch. I get, it was one of those things where like, once the ride ended, I was like, this has potential to be the greatest ride or the greatest thing to ever happen to a star Wars fan. I feel like if I was given, I feel like a video game, and I think Zenger can appreciate this as the game, probably the most gamer of all of us on this call. If I was allowed unrestricted access to this for hours, this might be the greatest thing to ever happen to a Star Wars fan. As somebody who played Rogue Squadron on the, uh, the N64, as somebody who loves the space combat and battlefronts, the contemporary battlefronts, this, somebody who's oh god complained about the fact that you can't have control over things i think this has that potential i think you just need it's it's almost like i remember a year a couple like maybe a year plus ago somebody described smugglers run to me as if you're that kid in high school who loves group projects and taking unilateral control of it this is the experience for you pardon the motorcycle outside my house right now um that's what this feels like. I think if you were to sit there, have yourself and a group of five friends, you might have the, the greatest time of your life. But if you get saddled with a bunch of people who don't care, which as soon as like, like, like once the ride was over and we quote unquote landed, um, I didn't feel disappointed. I was like, yeah, this is fun. This is neat. Like it wasn't that same experience coming out of Oga's. But I was like, yeah, this was fun. This was worth the two hour wait. And then grandma and grandpa, grandpa behind me, like said, like in the most, oh God, Zenger will love this reference, like Patty and Selma reference ah. possible. They're like, this was worth the wait. And I'm just like, I'm like, like, like go away. I'm like, you're the reason why we can't have nice things. I'm like, and they said that in front of the cast members. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, like, no, this was fun. Like, just because you expect a little to sit on your fat butt and let the thing just kind of just wash over you. I'm like, no, I'm like, this was, this was neat. It was a lot of fun. Is it the greatest thing ever? No, but I'm like, this was fun. I'm like, if it wasn't a two hour wait, will I have a hundred percent waited online again for it? Absolutely. Um, Rachel and I tried to get another like another thing on it, and we couldn't that day. But no, it's something that like I I I was not like I was not disappointed. Like based on the ride footage, I expected to hate this. Um, I will say that if I did get saddled with Gunner or Engineer, I might have hated it. But if you do get the pilot seat, um, I it's so funny that like because it was so cold that day. I wish I had packed my Alden Ehrenreich Han Solo jacket. If I would have had that jacket while piling the Millennium Falcon, I might have had like the happiest aneurysm of my life. What I'm confused. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. I can't believe that that Zach told the old people to get off his lawn. <laughs> well, Zach, Zach, should, Zach, should have, Zach, Zach should have some compassion because they probably nearly expired in the line, and then they don't know what a Star Wars is, and they got the they got the the lame T 
two seats yeah. where you don't get to do anything yeah. interesting. So it, I'm not surprised. And uh, you also have to sort of wrap your head around the fact that Zach had to wait at 50 minutes over projected waiting time. And then he's also said that his controls didn't appear to be working and, he, and it's a glowing review. So that tells me that uh, it, it must be a, it must be a really engaging experience. Being behind this thing, I will say much like Oga's cantina, even though it's a facsimile of the money and Falcon cockpit, the idea of it, like coming off the ground. And even again, it's the illusion of having control over it. It's kind of mind blowing as a Star Wars fan. Like again, it's the pilot seat. I can't test anything else because I because even like when we originally got assigned to seats. Rachel was in the Han Solo seat, and I said like, "Move." I'm like, I yeah. I pushed her into the Chewy seat. Um, I don't know if I wasn't in the Han Solo seat. I can't imagine sharing the same opinion um, because like if you had some six year old or some grand grandpa like flying it, I would, I would be like maybe on the verge of like literally chucking somebody through the cockpit, like windshield, but being in the Han Solo seat on the Millennium Falcon. And again, I can't over, I, I can't put enough quotation marks around the word of flying the Millennium Falcon. But if you can get in the pilot seat, I can't imagine you being disappointed. And I will say just as a nice little kind of, uh, Oh God, flourish is that because we did a bad job of flying the falcon coming off of it all the lights were like blinking and flashing in a very oh god manner of something clearly went wrong as if the falcon was damaged to some capacity and i'm just like again like again wait yeah i'm like this is neat this is fun i'm like this is cool i'm like again pilot seat yes Anything else with people you don't know, this is very easily like a two out of five attraction, I feel. I can't believe they let you fly with having two drinks. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, I did already ride a Tower of Terror, so I think they felt I clearly uh, blew under the breathalyzer or the Star Wars breathalyzer. Well, that maybe. well, here's the other thing. If you had worn your Aaron Aldenright jacket, I'm wondering if they would have been like, sir, you can't sit in that seat. You just can't. But but Zenger, my, my friend Needles taught me a trick until he uh, died. <laughs> doing this trick. They would sit there and say, You have to stay in the queue. <laughs> you have to stay I, in this queue until you take the jacket off. I, I'm guessing Zach just referenced a line from solo, but it it completely blew past me. Uh, it's so, simply a Back to the Future part three reference in a Star Wars movie. That is the most baffling part of that reference well, okay here's the funny thing i've seen the movie and i had to think if that was in there or not and i'm like well zach said it so I'm am i the, the only person the that like am i the only star wars fan that when i think of the money like the definitive millennium falcon sequence in star wars i think of the kessel run from solo a star wars story yes you're the, the only person by the, far there's like 50 others you could choose from it's sitting there doing nothing it at hoth doing nothing the Lego one sitting on a on a shelf over there is more definitive than anything from that movie. I l- listen, like wh- the like- one behind Chris right now <laughs> is the one that I literally the one that I literally wrote that's sitting behind Chris right now. That one's is better. more definitive. Yeah, but uh, but you know, I think literally. So like, it's to- total side tangent. But I think the whole and. 
I'm, I'm unfortunately reliving it now, but the whole experience with the maw in, in solo, like I, it might have be the old, might be the only Star Wars thing that I've successfully pushed out of my brain where I don't think about it too much. Really? I love that. I, I think about like probably like I'm not kidding you. And, and as a fellow gym person, Sanger can appreciate this. But anytime like I'm doing cardio and like I, I put something on my phone to kind of just like zone out and just kind of like get into what I'm doing, it's the Kessel Run from Solo and like the weird like. Oh God, have we figured out what that creature is yet? Is it a purgle? Like I, I eat that up. The whole thing, even getting to oh, it's Savarine. And he, like you hear old Aaron writing, he's like, Savarine, refinement base. We are coming in. And I'm just like, I eat that up, man. Like, like again, to this day, I still adore solo. I still think that's oh God, my third favorite Disney Star Wars film. Maybe time that's for a, one. <laughs> okay, maybe as long time as for rogue one. As long as you phrase it, your third favorite Disney Star Wars film, we're fine. We all know my last, my least favorite Star Wars film is like Disney era. We all that that still hasn't changed. It's Last Jedi. I know it is. (laughs) Yeah, we know which we know which one it is. Zach. Yeah. Um. Uh. But but you know by such slim margins, like whatever. It's it's all it's neither here nor there. But so I want to let you move on from Smuggler's Run. Just one last question about that. This is something that I think is really hard to get a grasp of from videos. I've seen a tiny bit of video from Smuggler's Run, and so like I think visually, it's just when it comes to like projection and screen technology like it's really hard to create the illusion that you're literally looking at like actual uh objects in front of you rather than a projection like you know like how deep is the black like how sharp does the image look like did it did you believe there was stuff in front of you like what's the quality of the screen like um i'm maybe a bad person to ask that too because clearly i was focusing on every part of this so i couldn't really ever like 100 dissolve into the illusion um no it feels like it feels like a video game it does feel like a video game um but a convincing video game i will say that this it's not star tours this is the first star tours this is the first time i heard it has like star fox training rings that you're supposed to fly through so that does sound like a, a pretty classic video game it does. It's a, no, like, no, it will. The thing about Smuggler's Run is it is a video game. Like, it's weird. It's something that, like, Disney doesn't typically do um, because most of its video game rides, like uh, Buzz, uh, Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger Spin, Toy Story Midway Mania, anything that has, like, a, a video game element to it is clearly labeled as that. It's weird. To th- Again, this when I look is- at it, when when I look at it, it's it's just seems super comparable. Especially when you're saying that the interactive element is sort of like you, what whatever effect you have, it's it's buffered to the point where you're not going to ruin everyone else's day. It does yes. seem very much like uh, like Star Tours or the how the Back to the Future ride used to be, where it's a lot of theming and uh cameos on the on the queue and then it's more of a motion ride by the end of the day it's 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 weird smugglers run is because because again we're, we're slowly getting into like st- the star tours element of, of my time there um it's not as convincing as star tours 100 percent. it's not as convincing um it, it's a weird blend i would say almost weirdly enough it's a blend of motion simulator in in video games 
And like I said, I played a nice portion of Star Wars Squadrons. I, I kind of, not until I gave up on Squadrons, but I didn't have the time to really devote to figuring out everything about that game. And, and when I started playing it, I didn't have uh, the PlayStation, whatever it's saying. What's the uh, PlayStation? What's the Xbox Live equivalent of PlayStation? PlayStation Plus? Yeah. Okay. I didn't even have that yet when I started playing uh, Squadrons. Uh, it, it, it It's... Again, I don't know. It, it's a dumbed-down video game combined with a motion simulator. Even at one point in the ride, uh, you get the coaxium. Weirdly enough, like going back to Solo, the ride takes place almost exclusively on Corellia, and you're stealing coaxium, which is a very solo plot point. And there's a point where the floor drops out, and you're supposed to feel that motion, that that simulation of falling. Which, if you've ever ridden Star Tours, any really simulator ride, you know every simulator tries to emulate that experience of a free fall. Star Tours does a phenomenal job at it. This, it happens, and it didn't feel that authentic. It felt like an emulation of it as opposed to a, oh boy, like here's that G-force of free falling. Although the core machine is getting a little old at this point, it's like Star Tours is built out of an actual flight simulator. Whereas this, I don't think there's, pr- there's probably not as much raising and lowering going on. I, I don't recall any behind the scenes footage showing whether there is or isn't, but it's probably designed to be a little more streamlined, especially considering they have like five or six of those cockpits, like on a big wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like I said, I, a little disappointing. Cause I, again, like I said, I knew all the plot points once again of this and I knew that moment was coming and when it didn't happen, or I didn't feel that sort of visceral nature, I'm a little disappointed. But no, I, I again, my review on Smuggler's Run is it's a lot of fun. It's the closest you'll ever feel in real life to piling the Millennium Falcon. Just make sure that you get the pilot seat. If I cannot fathom being the engineers or gunners. To me, that is a literal just waste of time. If I got either one of those roles, I think I would have been massively, massively disappointed. But being in Han Solo's seat on the Millennium Falcon with the throttle, with with the hyperspace, uh, the uh, light speed like throttle, that is everything you could ever. As a kid who grew up playing the PC game where you had the giant plastic thing that like you latched onto the keyboard with like, oh God, Chris can, can tell you, with like the elastic band that hooked around the keyboard and you had to like smash the thing, even though you had all these different buttons, but in reality, all it controlled was maybe what, eight different keys on the keyboard. As a kid who grew up with that post Phantom Menace, the idea of even being behind the Millennium Falcon cockpit with like a weird lateral joystick that didn't do much, it's 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 a dream come true. It really is. And I, it's disappointing to say, but I think Disney knows as, for a Star Wars fan, that's all it takes. It, it's, it's the illusion as opposed to maximizing the illusion. If I remember correctly, I think Ellie and our daughter got the engineering spots for that, and they were con- like completely happy and enjoyed doing that. So I guess it just depends on the individual. I do want known that like, I was like again as somebody who's watched copious amounts of ride footage of this, I like maybe I'm to blame here, but I was predisposed to be like if I did not get pilot, I was gonna be frustrated. So like I said, to each their own. 
Um, but as a Star Wars fan, considering there's only four seats in the cockpit, Millennium Falcon, two of which literally have nothing to do other than just sit there. I, I Again, part of me also just speculates that if there was just four seats in the cockpit and they had two other people somewhere being the gunners, like actually sitting like in the things that like Luke and Hans in, in A New Hope, um, I, I think they could very easily diminish the uh, wait times if they had that being its own thing as well. They're so screen accurate that the problem with that is you just, you simply can't force someone to climb a ladder. So it's just off the table right away. But, uh, but, but, uh, but, but I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you liked it. And uh, I'm, I'm surprised that you're as positive about this whole experience as you have been so far. No, it's okay. We have the star tour story, which is the greatest moment of the day. Cause it just was, was, was inexplicable for so, so many reasons. Um, so after after we do uh, Star Tours, we go again, once again, walk to the other side of the park. We get on Rock and Roller Coaster. Unfortunately, as we were waiting in line for that, I explained to Rachel what, if anybody knows their theme park history, knows the uh, obscene gesture that Steven Tyler makes in the pre-show for that ride that Disney edited out sometime in the last five years. Um, I explained that to Rachel and then she proceeded to make said obscene gesture during the ride camera like photo take um and you guys are escorted I, out <laughs> I, was, I was surprised they didn't do that because i we actually have the picture of her making this obscene gesture on camera um which again uh, i cannot wrap my head around uh but anyway though so we do that we do rock and roller coaster we get lunch and then basically was uh just kind of wander around after that. We went through the shops at Galaxy's Edge. Um, there's the marketplace. Um, we went through there and they have like about maybe four, maybe five shops. Neat. Like you have the animal stables there. I, I posted a couple pictures in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. You have a sleeping loth cat with a pork plush, which is like animated. And the little thing is little loth cat is sleeping. His tail's wagging. I thought that was cute as hell. I ate that up. Um, there's a little baby Sarlacc, which became weirdly prescient considering this episode of the Mandal um, of uh, the Book of Boba Fett. Um, considering that the anatomy of a Sarlacc became like a plot point, that was a lot of fun. There, this is where clearly uh, Chris's lizard monkey came from. Was this area of Galaxy's Edge? Uh, again, going back to the one item that I really kind of wish I would have bought, they had not just a regular colored loft cat, they had a blue loft cat plush that hisses, which I really now in retrospect regret not buying. Um, but they had some really cool merchandise, uh, really like stuff that's outside the bounds for Star Wars fans. They had like all these like hand, well, again, in quotation marks, handmade toys, whether it be like Stormtrooper dolls, Kylo Ren dolls. Um, a bunch of stuff that was really neat. Kind of just looked at it, walked through again, really felt like a bizarre, a star Wars bazaar, so to speak. Very similar to like the, uh, uh, marketplace. What was it? Navarro and Mandalorian season one felt very similar to that. Really neat. Um, not my alley, but cool. Nonetheless, uh, after, after we did that, we went and, um, we did the, I want to say the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular show. Like I said, Rachel is a huge Indiana Jones fan. 
Um, she was expecting something more like a ride or more like an actual, like uh, a theater performance, something like Beauty and the Beast or Fantasmic. What she saw that was more of a deconstruction of what, it, again, it, Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular is the only original ride from uh, the park's opening in 1989. So that was cool. One thing I just want to note that at one point in the ride there, or not right in the show, uh, a truck intentionally flips upside down. And a woman in the crowd let out a blood-curdling scream that was 100% genuine. And the actual performers looked up to the audience because it was that convincing. In an auditorium of thousands of people, the actual actors looked up because it was that convincing of somebody responding to what was happening in front of them. It was, like I said, neither here nor there, but it was neat. A, tr- a um, truck that's flipped over every day since 1989. Numerous times every day since 1989. And this woman let out a blood-curdling scream. 10 out of 10, got my money's worth out of that. Um, I will say that because Rachel's only goal that day was to get an Indiana Jones shirt and hat, she inexplicably somehow picked the one store in the entire park that actually still had Indiana Jones merchandise. And she got her shirt and hat. Go figure. Um, She walked away happier merchandise-wise than I did that day. Um, but after that, it was around, I want to say 4 o'clock, and the Sabi's workshop appointment wasn't until 6.45. So we had about two and a half hours to kind of just do what we wanted, didn't have anything going on. Um, so we went on Star Tours. Went on Star Tours once, and we got the Phantom Menace experience. We got the pod race along with the Naboo Gung, uh, Gunga City. And that was neat. I, I've never been on Star Tours 2.0, The Adventure Continues. The last time I ever read Star, uh, Road Star Tours was in 2007, where it was still Captain Rex. And it was the weird amalgamation of uh, Attack on the Death Star with the footage from Return of the Jedi. Not footage, but just recreation, emulation of Return of the Jedi in a New Hope sequences. Um, and then I, I looked at her because the wait for Star Tours was essentially a walk-on. And so I said, want to do it again? And she was like, sure, that was a lot of fun. And so I was like, okay, that was the most enthusiasm she'd showed all day outside of Indiana Jones. So we, this is this is where the part of the story where it gets a lot of fun. So we, we get to the main entrance and there's, I'm not making this up. There's a gentleman. If he's 85 years old, he was young. This is, like I said, I'm not, as somebody who grew up with a father that was born in 1927, I know what it's like to be around an elderly individual. This gentleman had to be at least in his mid-80s, but that wasn't the kicker. He was dressed in a shirt, tie, and jacket. And I'm like... So formal. Formal, formal, very nice. formal. Back back to what Disney was back 50 years ago, where people actually dressed up in a jacket and ties. But this isn't the people most... People also did that when they flew on planes. It was an experience. Zach, well, I mean, you were on the plane... Oh, I wore, you know, a, a Rise of Skywalker hoodie. The, the obvious, <laughs> there you the, go. Obvi- the obvious thing here is that was that was the uh, the fashion at the time when the park opened, and he was there that week, so he's well, just sticking well, well, to well. it. But he, he had, hasn't left. But he never left. <laughs> Mentally or physically is the real question there. Um, but that's not the most interesting part of the story. So he was with a female companion, a woman that had to be in her mid to late forties. And what she had, because because of the current world we live in, anytime you went indoors at any anywhere on Disney, they made they required a face mask. So as she's walking on the Star Tours with her 
elderly companion. She had a face mask on, but it was obscure because on top of the face mask, she also had a gaiter. For those of you who don't know what a gaiter is, it's a very sheer piece of fabric. Think of something slightly thicker than silk that kind of just drapes around one's nose. Um, so she had that. So when she walked, she was getting basically walking into the building. They asked her to remove the gator and prove that she had a mask on. And she got very, very upset by this. Very Ooh. upset. And so I'm just like, again, they're just doing is, is Joe is Joe also works in an environment where we have to deal with the public. You have to empathize with the individuals whose job it is to police this. It's just like they're just doing their job. They don't they don't want to be doing this. Just let them do their job. Again, whether you agree with it or don't or not, just let them do their job. So she was very irate. Well, while this was happening, we, we walked through the queue for Star Tours. And for some reason, we had to wait online about 20 minutes, which is kind of obs- kind of obscene for Star Tours nowadays, because Star Tours never, never is a wait. So while we're sitting there, these two kind of goobers ahead of us are just doing their thing. And I'm just the whole time, I'm just like, please, please put them on a different ride vehicle than us. Please put them on a different simulator. I don't want these people. Well, little do you know, they sit next to us. They, they, they get placed right next to us on Star Tours. Okay. So they sit next to us. And as anyone who's ever ridden Star Tours before knows, um, the cast member who's in charge of kind of sealing the flight simulator goes through their safety spiel. Please put all belongings like under your seat, lock your seat belt, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of his like 30 second to one minute spiel, the cast member goes and he was, he was a cool cast member. He was really playing into it. Like he wasn't, this wasn't a passive thing to him. He was a, he was really playing into what was happening. He goes, and before he's about to like walk out and lock the door, he goes, do you have any questions? So this, this woman raises her hand and I'm not making this up. She goes for flight 495. What is the current destination city? And she, she was not saying this like in a way to play into the act or saying this ironically, she was like, based on her tone, she was genuinely inquiring as to where this flight was arriving to. And I'm, I'm not lying about, I'm not making this up, exaggerating, hyperbolizing the cast member for a solid two seconds, his brain short circuited because he stumbled or he got uh, 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 for a solid one Mississippi two Mississippi. And then he says, please inquire with the captain about all uh, uh, procedures and just walked out, locked the door and the ride began. (laughs) And like the whole time, Rachel and I are just giggling because we've been, we've been sitting next to these people now for at least a half an hour. in the What was the flight again? It's like 495, whoever was like in the pre-show, like as you're waiting to board the flight simulator, they say of a generic flight number, it, you hear it every single time. It's nothing unique. And as we got off the ride, Rachel and I kind of just look at each other like, did that really just happen? And I turn around to her and go, I think these were real aliens trying to get home. They were, they were two peas in the pod, man. Like they were clearly there trying to get somewhere and when they ended up back in Central Florida, had to be disappointed. 
there's so much that you could glean from just their <laughs> their their attire and expressions that I'm not getting to like make you like like either they're super committed to Disney role play or they were very confused individuals. I'm I'm just letting you know that when she asked the flight uh, the the cast member the question, there wasn't a single ounce of cynicism in it. There was this was not like a playing into the storytelling hand. This well, was somebody who literally, from what I could tell, and I'm not an expert on human, oh God, emoting of certain words and stuff, but this did not feel like anyone being ironic or cute or playing in a level above the way they were supposed to. This was the equivalent of getting on a bus and asking, when did we get to this stop? The thing is, if she would have been wearing like any kind of Star Wars shirt, the, you, well, she you wasn't. Stop she was not. She was not wearing any. She had a pair of baggy jeans on and like a like a I don't know what it was, but like a sweater. That's what it was. This was not a a diehard. This did not from a oh, God, uh, superficial glance be a individual that was a diehard. Not from a distance. It did not feel that way. I could be wrong. I can see that. Like I said, I am just, I'm not judging one way or the other. Just the, uh, you can, I'm just recounting the experiences of one individual's behavior on a ride. Well, you know, the, it's either that or she isn't indulging in psychedelics of some kind. I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> or she's like on said, a day pass. That's the other thing. It's that or they clearly bought into the illusion in a way that only I could ever hope to. Well, it's just her because that guy was like 45 when Star Wars came out. So like he's not. (laughs) But that That was was therapist. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, Chris, like that was the oh, God, I could I don't think I could have asked for a better Star Tours flight. Um, I I do want to say that on uh, Rachel and I did ride Star Tours three times in total that day. The first experience was a was basically the Phantom Menace, Phantom Menace experience. It was the pod race. It was Naboo, Gunga City. This second time with the uh, extraterrestrials that were trying to uh, phone home, we got the first segment was it was Rise of Skywalker. It was Kef Burr. It was the remains of the submerged second Death Star. And the second component of it was uh, actually the last Jedi in Crate. It was the Battle of Crate, uh, which was neat. It was neat seeing that. And then later that day, the actual last ride that we rode on at like eight thirty at night, we did Star Tours again, and we got put in the same simulator as we did the second time. And it once again was Kef Burr submerged second Death Star and the Battle of Crate again, That's which is weird. kind of. That's really weird because like you, I've I, heard that each of the three segments sort of gets shuffled. So you basically won the lottery in a very uninteresting fashion. <laughs> we won the lottery in the worst way possible. Uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. I, I remember I told Rachel about like, oh God, like there's so many, like even on YouTube, you can watch YouTube videos where I've done all these different things. And like, it's, there's YouTube videos that are over like out, like an hour long, just like just putting these things in a different order. And somehow we got, and I think what happens is probably in the morning, they probably set the simulator with the same like ride program. And I think there's six simulators running in in Orlando for that ride. So probably every simulator. And by that time of the night, probably by eight 30, they're probably only running one simulator. Cause there's like at at that time it was a walk on like, literally you walked in the front door. 
Um, I do want to say, because at that point, I did not to jump too far ahead in the story. I had already built my lightsaber. And as anybody knows, as you walk through the Star Wars queue outside under that like facade at at Walker, you can hear the Jawa, I'm not Jawas, the Ewoks kind of like chiming in over each other and they're chattering. I lit the light, I, I, I uh, ignited the lightsaber and I was pretending to like sit there, like ward off the Ewoks. And I didn't know there was a cast member there. And the cast member told me like, oh, I didn't know we had any Jedi, Jedis on, uh, on uh, Endor right now. And I'm like, I feel like a jackass right now. Cause I'm literally sitting there like reenacting like a scene from Ewok Hunt in Battlefront 2 as a, a Disney employee is uh, witnessing all this. So uh, yeah, um, I think what happens is by the end of the night, by like within an hour of closing, they probably only keep one simulator running because it makes no sense to have six of them running if you're only getting like maybe, I don't know, like at most a hundred people an hour. I, just, I Well, but even so, like I've heard some bold claims from uh, people involved with the park that, that you could basically ride it like a hundred times in a row and not have the same experience. So that it sounds very strange to me that you got that, but, um, but it sounds like, uh, I, like I didn't realize you hadn't, uh, been there since that they refurbished that in 2011. Mm -hmm. I actually am. It's uh, I'm very sad that I missed out on the original star tours experience, but I, I did had been on this one a few times. Two things I will say, um, first, like, walking because obviously before we even get the rise of the resistance we had to like go past the star tours queue um they still have the banners up promoting the rise of skywalker exegol segment over two years later they still had the banners of like exegol and like the rows upon rows of star destroyers in front of the ride this is something that's been talked about a lot, but like if you think of the story of Star Tours, it was literally designed so they could replace the films and then they just didn't for like 25 years. Yeah. And so so now to have the most recent clips being a couple years old is really pretty great. And the fact that it sort of randomly cycles, like it's really like now what it was supposed to be in like 1993. Yeah, so it's pretty good. Oh, no. I, I One thing I will say, I think Chris, I think Chris is going to absolutely eat this comment up uh rachel who is not a star wars fan like again not again once again not because she dislikes it but just because she really has no interaction with it beyond me she said out of everything we did that day star tours was her favorite ride that's awesome i you know i like technically speaking should uh should objects that are beyond the cockpit glass appear stereoscopically closer to you than the cockpit glass i you know i i I got some issues with that but essentially it's a fun ride so um i think it's but i think they sort of proved the point that the 3d elements but probably not super necessary with the smugglers run thing but um i i remember thoroughly enjoying it last time i was there probably four years ago it's a lot of fun like even like the queue for star tours between like the C-3PO animatronic, the, oh God, one-to-one scale, Star Speeder 1000, the, oh God, board that has like all this different stuff about destinations where like Alderaan has been voted safest planet in the system, all this stuff. <laughs> Chris, is, Chris is, for those of you at home, Chris is literally uh, LOLing on screen right now. Um, but then even as you make the turn around the corner and you have all these different kind of like different droids that are like baggage porters and they're commenting about their jobs, um, it's baffling to think that a ride that was conceived of like in 2008 and then like crafted in 2010, 11 
is infinitely more interesting than the Millennium Falcon ride that they spent five years working on. Well, you're it, they the queue for Star Tours retains a lot of its original elements. I think the C-3PO is actually something that was always there. So like there's a little more time and thought put into it than, than what you're saying. Cause it's building on an existing uh, sure, structure. Sure. I, I, but the same goes for the smugglers one like queue that like all that information they've had now for what, 30 years is baked into this. And yet the smugglers run queue is literally just like three disembodied voices and an engine in the room that just like turns on and off. And yet star tours that, like you said, they designed what nearly 30 years ago is infinitely more engaging and lively than the thing that was designed in the last five years with an infinite more amount of resources. Well, I th- obviously you were in the line an hour longer than you were supposed to be. So you had it really stretched out, uh, experience i think the average star wars fan would would be more enthralled by looking at the back grills of the millennium falcon for 20 minutes <laughs> if, if, but, that's, if but that's but that's not even like that's not even the portion of the like the queue that you spend the most amount of time in like that is like overflow like ideally you are in the building ideally um I don't know. I, I just think that, like, again, there's so much you could do with Smuggler's Run's queue. Um, like, just take a lesson from, from like, again, put a Ray animatronic. Not even a Ray, but have a screen. Um, there's so much you can do. And I just feel like, again, Smuggler's Run, um, even Rise of the Resistance. Rise of the Resistance has a lot of fun, just, like, walking throughout the uh, the uh, catacombs on, like, the Batu like, rock formation. Um, but weirdly enough, Star Wars just maybe again, it's a budgetary thing. I don't know. It's just kind of a shame that the 30 year old ride has an, a much more engaging queue than the ride made in the last five years. Like, like uh, almost I, mean, a- I, I, I don't want to say it, but, you know, it's might be emblematic of a, a broader thing going on. But that, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, like yeah, the, I hate to be that guy, but, you know, they just don't make it seems like they just don't make anything like they used to. But I really I really want you to, you know, you know we're, we're running a little long. We got to we're two and a half hours in. I need I want you to get to Savvy's workshop man, because okay. I know that you had a good time there. All right. So uh, just to kind of fast forward. Um, Star Tours, because uh, I did also eat, I did eat there too at uh, Docking Bay 7, but that was at the end of the night. Um, so no, getting to Savi's workshop, the lightsaber building experience, uh, got there around 625 because they told you to get there at least 20 minutes in advance. Um, before even leaving for Florida, I knew there was a controversy in the Disney theme park community over the workshop, the Savi's workshop, because they were no longer providing the lightsaber carrying cases. They were giving you a glorified bag to put them in. And I know there was a, again, minor uprising. And so I kind of knew that going in. So once you checked in, they, 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 they take down your information. They obviously ask, they ask for your galactic credit card, not making that up. Um, You do all that. But before you get to that point, they tell you, they say, Oh, they say uh, they're very matter of fact. They don't mince words. They say we we are no longer providing bags because of a supply chain shortage. They actually say that they don't make any Star Wars like like a like terminology in there. They say so. We're going to offer you ten percent off the experience, but 
if you are so inclined to want a traveling case for your lightsaber, Doc, Doc Ondors is more than happy to supply them at 50 credits each. And like I said, I, I didn't want the lightsaber carrying case. The thing that bothers me, though, is that like when I booked that experience like two weeks in advance, it's still said on the website, you get the carrying case. And this was long after this controversy started sometime in like December. And it's like, if you're not going to provide the carrying case any longer, just take that off the website. Like, just like how hard is it to delete a sentence worth of text? Because at this point, it is legitimate, like false advertising. It, re it really is. If you don't plan to offer it, then take it off the website. Um like I said, I didn't care. I just kind of shrugged and I said, yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, but how Savi's uh, workshop works is that once you check in, you swipe your credit card, they give you four different lightsaber types to choose from. Let's say give you, I'm going to pull up on my phone right now, just so I have it in front I, of me. I do want to send this picture though. There's a person in the background of one of your photos that obviously did not make the right choice with theirs because they are looking very disdainfully at you with yours <laughs> <laughs> all right uh Singer, okay. please describe I, I to the audience at home what you just sent me okay I, I need to pull up the original photo real quick so give me just a split second to do that because like, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to look at some of the pictures while Zach's talking about this stuff. And I'm like, I really want him to get to the lightsaber thing, because earlier on, I was sitting there and I was like, oh, you know, that's very cool. He built a lightsaber. We're not going to re reveal the color. And there's part where you're holding it up. And I'm sure Zach's going to talk about it. But if you zoom in, in the background, there is a kid like looks so disappointed with their life choices. And they're holding an orange lightsaber. It's like, you're holding one of the cooler colors and you're upset. And they are staring directly at Zach. Giving you the and stink I, eye. Yeah, they are. And I think it's because of what eye. color he picked. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, but that was my favorite color. You got it. Yeah. I'm going to get it now. Yeah. Did they get it, Zach? Did, did this individual come hunt you down with their orange lightsaber? What was weird was that because like, clearly Zagger's referencing like, like a... Like a 11 year old girl. And what happens is like when you sign up for Savi's workshop, like when you, like once you pay, like in, in you're in the uh, basically like weight line, they give you four different lightsaber hilts to choose from like types. Like one of them is peace and justice. One of them is power and control, elemental nature and protection and defense. Uh, the one that's clearly the type that is steep in the dark side is power and control. And the little girl that like Zenger is referencing, she chose power and control. And I know that because after you swiped your credit card, you get put like in a little pen with the other people that are going to be part of like your lightsaber building experience. And so the cast member, he was really cool. Like he was going around like asking us like why we chose what we chose. Again, really engaging stuff. Like Again, cast members, 10 out of 10, phenomenal. And when he got to her, she's like, I did power and control. And he's like, uh-oh, someone kind of, uh, like I said, he was cool. Like, he was playing into Star Wars. Or he's like, oh, it's so, like you feel like extreme passion then. And he was really like feeling it. Because like, even at one point, like he asked me why I picked what I picked. 
And I picked protection and defense. And he's like, oh, like, why would you pick that? Like, that's a really like ornamental type hilt compared to like other ones. And I'm like, oh, I wanted to go for something a little more like High Republic. And he's like, oh, like, and he started like playing into like High Republic stuff. So clearly, like, depending on where you are in Galaxy's Edge, they like they are reading the ancillary media. Like, it depends. Like, like when it is that like one-on-one experience, they do know infinitely more about like the lore than like someone whose job it is to like stand outside and hold a sign that says like you are 180 minutes away from like the front of the line. No, I, I mean, so so do you get to pick the color of it too and everything? Yes. So okay. basically, so okay, so exactly how Savi's workshop works is that like like I think it was like Micah Pork Knight in the Facebook group described it to us a couple of weeks ago. He's like, you need a reservation for this. Like even when I was there, a couple of people showed up and they're like, so this is where you build the lightsaber. And they're like, yeah, but like, do you have a reservation? And they're like, here's my money. Take my money. I want to build a lightsaber. And they're like, unfortunately, we can't do that. This is a reservation thing. And much like I knew like what Micah told, like he was like, there are a lot of angry, disgruntled people because they're just like, take my money. I want to build a lightsaber. And they're like, it doesn't work that way. Like you need a reservation. And there's a lot of like angry people that like, they're just like, I want to spend money. Let me spend my money here. Um, So basically once you do that, you get to pick one of these four lightsaber designs and they give you a pin and they give you like a, like the equivalent of like a Sabak card. And for the record, Chris, I did look for a Sabak card set and I could not find one. Um, I will get into, because this happened beforehand, but I did go into Doc Ondor's uh, Den of Antiquities and I did not have that. Um, it didn't have it the bazaar either. So like, like, so once you like, like swipe your credit card, they give you a pin and the pin is a emblem of what type of lightsaber you want to build. So for mine, the protection and defense, it was that emblem and the other three have their own emblems and they tell you to wear it over your heart. So once you go into Savi's workshop, they'll be able to give you the specific lightsaber scraps that you'll need in order to construct your lightsaber. And on top of that, they give you a card and the card basically is just a way of proving that you paid to be there that it doesn't really mean anything. It's just basically a ticket to get, get you into the place. Um, no, 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 Zach, you paid and had a reservation. Thank you, Zanger. Thank you. I paid and I had a reservation. Thank you for making that clarification. Don't, 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 don't want to mislead people that they're like, oh, why could I just paid and got here? It's like, nope, you have to have a reservation too, apparently. Damn straight. Um, so once you get in, you provide, uh, you put your little like thick ticket and you have your pin over your chest. And once you get in, you have like, he had, he had a name. Like, I don't remember what it was, but it's this cast member. And he's basically like your, your bastard. No, I wish he's your master of ceremonies for crafting this lightsaber. And again, really somebody who's like, like has a very specific spiel, um, and he's talking about all this stuff about like crafting your own journey in the force, like blazing a passage forward for like who you are really cool. Like really, really playing into the fact that this is like a, a genuine real life experience. And in my, in my group, there's about 12 people, there's 12 lightsaber building stations. So it was at capacity 
And some of the videos I watched beforehand, you could tell they were limiting it because of COVID for the last 18 months or so. And there was two kids, the one kid that Zenger was referencing, the little girl, she, she bought into it. I think it was either one or two spots to the right of me. There was this boy, maybe about 10 years old. And he was just looking at this as a way to get a, a, a glorified toy. He was not looking at this as if it were an experience. It was me want lightsaber. Me want to swing. He, I'm pretty sure like the moment we walked out of the thing, he almost dropped it. It was hysterical. Like both Rachel and I were really hoping because he was obnoxious. Like the moment he built it, he was like swinging it around, which they tell you not to do like in this really small room. Um, uh, but no, basically what happens is you walk into Savi's, they, 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 they present, they, they pull out the, the chest of different like lightsaber hilt parts based on what it is that you already like what type of lightsaber you want to build um the story is is that because it's uh they're they find these parts they're being scavenged and that's where ray plays into the story they're like oh we don't like these lightsaber parts we go to different worlds trying to like scavenge them and we collect them and we're very fortunate in this instance to be able to provide you with enough materials to build a lightsaber um when it comes to the crystal they provide you with a kyber crystal and they actually, they have a, one of those canisters from Rogue One that we see on Jetta in the Imperial hover tank. And they bring it around to you and you get to pick your color crystal. You get a choice of four different colors. You get blue, green, purple, or red. Um, there are different colors at um, Doc Ondor's Den of Antiquities. There's a white, there's a white kyber crystal, which I did buy. Um, and I want to say there's a yellow crystal. Um, there's that one as well. Uh, so you get the pick of one of four different colors. You pick that. And then you basically over the course of 10 minutes, you build your lightsaber. They provide you with uh, an, basically an ignition hilt. And you have all these different components you can choose from, um, whether it be the hilt, the end cap, the uh, where the emitter blade is. Uh, you spend about 10 minutes doing this. And at any point, if you struggle to do it, they, uh, th there's they kick least, you out. No, you spend too much money to get kicked out at this point. Um, at any point, if you have any sort of questions or whatnot, they're there to help. Um, a couple of times with mine, I didn't screw my on a hundred percent, and they they fixed it for me. Uh, no, it was it was it was it was neat. Uh, it was I. I um, That's really cool. Yeah, it, it's really neat. So, like I said, just kind of going through the entire thing. Like for those, Zenger loves to say this. Um, we're providing pictures in auditory medium, but I'm posting it in the uh, group chat right now. Um, if you follow the Facebook group, you, you have seen these pictures. If you follow my personal Instagram account, you've seen these. I would imagine that whenever this episode debuts, Chris will 100% post them on the Instagram account. Uh, it's, it's that notion of you really like even like trying to get the Kyber crystal in the middle of the like shaft of the lightsaber. I don't want to say it's an arduous experience, but it feels kind of earned once you place the kyber crystal in there. And while this is all going on, like both beforehand and afterwards of crafting the lightsaber, the room, like the room you're in is reacting to this MC of building a lightsaber, this ultimate guy. At one point, like Yoda gets involved and the room turns green and he kind of like interacts with you very similarly to what he does with Ezra and rebels where he's commenting on what you've done, how you've taken your first steps into a larger galaxy. It's neat. Um, I would imagine this is something that to a kid 
a, a hardcore Star Wars fan as a kid is mind blowing. I cannot fathom doing this as a kid. I think this is one of those things that just, in, if you like Star Wars as a kid or are predisposed to like it, this just brings you to like almost like a Nirvana tier. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned it a couple times on this podcast that like back in 2003, I had the chance to fight Darth Vader at Star Wars weekends. I still have the little piece of paper I have telling me I'm a Jedi, not, I'm a Jedi Padawan framed. Um, as a kid, I would imagine Savi's workshop being that equivalent. Um, it really, really elevates that notion of being in a galaxy far, far away in a way that nothing else can. This is uh, great. This is this is like, you know, I was really worried because like when we talked about this before you went, we've had a few conversations about Galaxy's Edge and Zach used to get very cynical saying, well, when do they ever build a lightsaber in, in, in the Star Wars movies? That's not even a thing that happens in the movies. That's barely a Star Wars thing. And I'm like, well, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, this or that. And he was, you know, I didn't think he would be reacting this way, but he's had this very this almost religious come to undo moment like over it's, this it's, whole thing. I will say, okay. Cause like I said, cause we're kind of like outside of just going to Dock and Bay seven, which was a quick, a quick service restaurant. Um, this, this is pretty much my, my experience at galaxy's edge and black spire uh, outpost is almost over. There's just some things I want to touch upon just like overall about just this as a whole. Um, I will say it, it is the equivalent of like a star Wars pilgrimage. I apologize if that's sacrilegious in any way. I, I genuinely do, but I can't think of a better term other than that. I I, I will say though, it, it's it's a way of decleansing the cynicism because I think as a Star Wars fan, and I did go into this open open minded. I did not go into this with like the Zach cynicism, like Chris said, of like technically like lightsabers are only built like on a mission to Ilum. Anything outside of that is sacrilegious, but. At the same time, though, they do give an in-canon explanation of this because you're technically not building this lightsaber as a Jedi Knight. You are paying Savi in his workshop, which if you like, – I know Zenger's read Black Spire Outpost. There's a whole yeah, thing. No. <laughs> there's a whole, you didn't read that one? No. Okay. Is, well, Zenger's telling me to. I won't. Okay. Because I remember, re I remember reading the Black Spire Outpost book from like two plus years ago. And when V Marathi is in there, she talks about like how like scavenged lightsaber parts are a thing that happened throughout the galaxy. Like there are people looking for components. So it does, I don't want to say play into the lore, but it leans into Star Wars lore. And I, I just wish that if you did get all nerdy, they have nerds on standby they send out to have a argument with you to, well, to, to, uh, well, to, to get you to stop yeah like i'm primed to do that i mean like we have star wars uh, legends and canon material is rife with non-jedis using lightsabers the probably the er earliest example if you exclude the films is Th thal jobin pulls a pulls a lightsaber out of his pocket and in, in the droids episode the white witch to cut open a sewer grate like it's no big deal and you never see it again after that so you know you're just one of those guys that's and that's what they do they sell is that as in like could this like i said like i said yoda gets involved at some point through like disembodied voiceover and it, it, it's neat like it's cute 
I, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's something that's made for adult fans. I, I think Disney's happy just to collect my money just as much as anybody else. Um, but I think to a kid, it has that same potential to make a lifelong fan, even though it's not really grounded in anything we've ever seen before in Star Wars lore. Um, one thing I will say, though, because like I said, there, there's some other key aspects before I give my final judgment on all of this, is um, the shops. Once again, like I did go through all the shops. And there are, oh God, beyond the Galaxy's Edge Black Spire Outpost shops, there are other spots in the park that sell Star Wars merchandise. I, I much like Disney Springs, I was severely underwhelmed by the merchandise available. Um, I remember like when Rachel and I walked into Doc, uh, Doc Ondor's Den of Antiquities, once again, I like was like, I was so excited. I'm just like, oh, because like one thing I did want walking in, like before even leaving for this trip, um, Chris might have seen it. They did make Maul's lightsaber from uh, Clone Wars season, what the final season, they made that as like a legacy lightsaber. And for those, for those of you who don't know, they have made about like, oh God, what Chris, at least a dozen legacy lightsabers. Um, as in like ones from the movies, from the TV shows, whether it be, oh God, Obi-Wan's episode one lightsaber, Darth Vader's, Luke Skywalker's episode six, Luke Skywalker slash Anakin's, like the list goes on. And a it's more saber. like 20. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like the list goes on and on. And like one lightsaber I really did want to buy, but I knew they wouldn't have it prior to leaving was the reforged Skywalker saber. Um, I knew that one was no longer available, but I really like, I really liked that mole lightsaber from uh, Clone Wars. And so like when I got the Doc and uh, Doc Ondor, I was like, oh my God, like I'm already spending like $200 for my own lightsaber. Do I really want to spend like almost like another 200 on another one? And when I got in there and anyone who's seen any of the pictures, they have a bunch of glass cases with like the really high end merchandise. And when we walked in, I have those like four glass cases, like three of them were empty, like literally just like nothing in there. And like the one or two that weren't empty, you could tell they just put other merchandise in there to make it look good. And I was just like, like, this is, this is it. I'm like, like, th like, this is supposed to be like the, like you're Disney. You want me to be spending hundreds of dollars, if not more on merchandise. Where is it? Like, I, like, I want to spend money. And I was just like, so dis disappointed. Cause like even the stuff that wasn't in the glass case, the stuff that was on the walls was very similar to what I found at Disney Springs. It was like the Luke Skywalker bust. I think there was a Palpatine bust. Um, Ooh, it it was, eh, it wasn't anything to get excited about. It was like $130. It wasn't anything to get excited about. Um, you, you would find better stuff like at sideshow.com. It was it was underwhelming. Like they did have lots of Sith and uh, Jedi holocrons, uh, but those were like fifty dollars each. And I know, like if you plug different Kyber crystals into those, they react differently. Um, really, wasn't impressed by that. They did have lots of lightsaber carrying cases, though. Ooh. Um, they did have lots of those. Um, Angry Zach incoming. No, like I said, I, I, I kind of wrote that off. Um, but no, I was, I was like, I really, really out going. like, I really, like part of me was genuinely like looking forward to seeing that like late, like Leia lightsaber hilt that everybody knows I am so infatuated with. And the fact that like, I was expecting having to like resist the urge to buy that in reality, it wasn't even there for me to like gawk over. 
And I think that was kind of one of those things. Like I remember back in the day as somebody who rode star tours, like in 2002, 2003, all the time, you would walk out of there and walk into Tatooine Traders and like they literally had every single toy you you couldn't find like Toys R Us, Walmart, Target. They had like dozens of each figure, every vehicle. Pretty much like was it like priced well above MSRP? Of course, but like if there ever wasn't anything you couldn't normally find, you knew it was going to be there. And so like walking in this time, like I'm not going to lie, like Star Wars wise, the only things I bought from from Disney this time was the Boba Fett t-shirt and I bought the white kyber crystal for my lightsaber because you couldn't get that through the normal experience. You know what? Now that you mention it, I really did mess up by not trying to have you find the most recent uh, droid builder set they put out that has the the river, the lava boat was there. droid. I did. Oh. You, you want to hear something really interesting about that? I saw that at Disney Springs in the wonderful world of Disney, like mega super duper gift shop. The one that's like tens of thousands of square feet. Um, that was there. That was not at Galaxy's Edge or Black Spire Outpost. I mean, yeah, that is like so since you were since you were there in like the early 2000s, like all, they, they do have this sort of parallel line that's only available at the parks. That's this mm-hmm. droid builder thing. Frankly, I think the graphic design on the cards is god awful and it's really embarrassing how terrible they look. But they had make a lot of R2 units and other droids that you can't get that are not they're, yeah. they're I think they're droid theoretically Depot. made by Hasbro. Droid Depot? Yeah, it's I think, yeah, like the, the mold for the R2 is the same as the Hasbro one. I'm sure Hasbro is somehow involved in the production, but they're, it's like they're Disney products rather than Hasbro products. So I'm sure yeah. that that's the reason for I, it. I will, I will say though, that I have everything. Cause like I did try the blue milk. Um, I, the only thing I did not try out of all, like out of all the Galaxy, Sedge, Black Spire, the Droid Depot. I did walk through the Droid Depot um that place was hectic as hell um it that felt like a literal bizarre marketplace um that place was a madhouse and that's where they had like oh god the i don't don't even know what size replica it would be of like chopper r2d2 c3po like like not as small as like chris was talking about like that fairy droid from mandalorian season one finale it wasn't like action figure size it was bigger than that um the droid they're, depot they're about quarter scale i think but and you know that's a little bit canon breaking to me to have quarter scale r2s that you build in, on the in galaxy's edge but that's you, you can't you don't build r2 like you can buy him off the shelf like in a box you can't you don't build him like like you can build bb units you can build r2 units i was i was just talking about the scale but i yeah, see what okay. you're saying yeah like i said no like the droid depot i've heard is a lot of fun like if you have kids because you can basically just kind of like piecemeal like basically it's almost like a conveyor belt and you pick pieces off of it and build your own droid um it's cool like it's a really cool thing but like it would i think it's also i think a hundred dollars per person which isn't a a huge deal but like it wasn't something i was particularly interested in but we did walk through it's one of those things you can walk through without having a reservation and it was like frantic like it was like it felt like chaos in a way that like not much else at the park did um even beyond star wars um, uh, the blue milk, the, I did have a glass of the blue milk, blue milk was pretty good. Like I enjoyed it. It was about $10 for one, like eight ounce cup. 
Um, but it tasted good. I did make one comment to Rachel. If it weren't for the fact that I already had two alcoholic drinks at 9 a.m., I would have definitely gotten the, the one with rum in it. Um, it, it tasted good. There's one of those things where, like, uh, if, I could, if it wasn't for the fact it was $10 a glass, I would have gotten another one. Uh, I already spent too much money that day on uh, Star Wars beverages. Uh, beyond that, just two last things off the top of my, I guess three last, three more things. Um, when it came to the lightsaber and carrying that around the park, because I did have it by around 7.15 in the evening, and we still had like an hour and a half left to go in the park. I was like, well, I have like a four foot lightsaber. What am I going to do on some of these rides where there's nowhere to put it? Um, we did go on Star Tours. I remember asking them, I'm like, hey, like, what am I supposed to do with this? And they're just like, yeah, just put it on the floor. You'll be fine. And I'm like, I just I just spent $200 on this. I really don't want it to like be rolling around on the floor of a flight simulator. Um, and like, if, so only, like if only you had the complimentary bag. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. Um, very similar thing happened. We went on Toy Story Midway Mania. And I asked the cast member out front. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? And there's like, like it fits perfectly on the floor. Don't worry about it. And I'm just like, do you people not realize? Like, I just spent $200 on this. Like, I want to kind of take care of it. Yeah, they don't um, understand Star Wars nerds. Yeah, man. They think there's people who spend that on all kinds of random Disney nonsense at the park and do put it on the floor because they're not going to go home and count the scratches that are new. Well, they want you to spend $200 more. Well, yes, I, exactly. Jay, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, but the one thing I will say that like the thing that I, I that night, like when Rachel and I like got back home, like we got to the hotel and I'm like, well, how do I get this home now? Because like obviously the blade detaches from the hilt and well, that's handy. It, it, I, it I say that sarcastically because the one I own does not detach. So I had to ship it home. Well, I'm, I'm oh. glad you said that, Zenger, because like I did. So I did like I went on Google that night and I'm like ship home galaxy's edge lightsaber so i found a couple of reddit posts from like like latter half of 2021 so it's relevant information and like everyone's just like oh just go to first or first order cargo transport by the 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 tie fighter that the uh, chris referenced from, episode, from colin trevorrow's episode nine and they'll ship it home for you if you provide like an address for them and i'm like well that that would have been nice if someone would have told me that at some point in like when I was doing all this, instead of telling me about like supply chain shortages when it came to carrying cases, they should have been like, oh, because you're all off, because all of you are off-worlders, go visit first order transport and they'll be happy to ship home your precious cargo. And I'm like, well, that would again, why didn't you tell me that then? If this was a, a service that you were you guys were providing, and apparently they charge like $18 per lightsaber. Which, considering that like they provide the box, all basically all you do is hand them the lightsaber and your address, like that's a pretty nice convenience. Because basically, what happened with me was like that next day, I had to go to the UPS store, buy a poster tube for like five dollars. And pay UPS like fifteen dollars in shipping just to mail the blade and the hilt. I mailed uh, via priority mail at the postal service. So like pretty much it cost me like thirty dollars to mail the lightsaber home. And I'm just like I I'm just like for for eighteen dollars it would been really nice just to literally hand this to Disney and been like okay thank you. I'm like why did again this is like literally money like I want to give you money. Make it easier for me to give you money. 
So um, did did the hilt have a giant box so you couldn't fit it no, in your no no no, no. the box I that only the legacy lightsabers come with the box. The Savis do not come with any like outside now that they've done away with the carrying case. I literally, I'm not kidding you, got a four foot long uh like cellophane bag. Ooh. <laughs> I will say that the hilt that I mailed uh Wednesday morning did arrive this afternoon. Uh, uh, the blade, I mean, the hilt should re- uh, arrive Monday afternoon. I'm just, I'm just struggling to understand why you mailed the hilt. Um, I was afraid. I, I was flying out of Orlando International Airport, which is a big airport, um, and I have seen on numerous occasions where if you get a very frustrated TSA agent, if they don't want to allow you with something, you're they. Like I've seen this happen. Like we're talking back in like 2003, like post like nine, like right after 9/11, they basically tell you. If you want to board the plane, we're throwing this out. Like you, they, you, you they, know like, what? That's uh, you make a great point. Like one, it, and I, it's it's so funny to think of all the times I disregarded this possibility and like put a like, it, it, I can't even, I won't even like you know a, an excessively priced vintage action figure that probably has weird particles on it after forty years. That if they put a swab over it, who knows what would be on it, right? So you make a very good point. Well, that's and that's the thing that, like, again, I remember as somebody who flew post 9-11, like, I remember my mother had like something. And this is before like the shoe bomber and like the three like was like the three point four fluid ounces and a carry on. Like she had something that like wasn't on the list because my mother always did her research. Like she was methodical. And I remember like, oh, God, I was like 10 years old. And they're like, if my mother was like, well, why is this an issue? And she's and, and the TSA agent was like, do you want to get on the plane? My mother's like, well, yeah. And she's like, throw get, throw it out or you stay, you stay here. And that's what they do. And I'm like, am I, am I really gonna risk that like over this? Like, am I gonna roll the dice? Um, and that's what I did. It's like, okay, because I, I I did get it the, the USPS package insured. So like technically, if they lose it, like I will be reimbursed. But at the same time, though, like I I I'd rather have the item. Um, it's, it's just the reality of it. I really wish Disney and the, like in part of the spiel that the cast members have to learn, they would make it, oh God, abundantly clear that like, that like, if you don't want to carry this four foot prop along with you, like bring it here and for $20, we'll mail it home for you. Like, like it's an opportunity to literally make money. Why wouldn't you want to, alert guests to that you know what's you know what's awesome about this there's going to be a guy out there who will listen to this podcast up till the two and a half hour point who will then go to galaxy's edge and not know about the the first order shipping department <laughs> you're, you're you're putting a psa out there but it's a it's a little bit late in the game but uh i i that got that'll happen at some point that's that's I, fine i hope um I, I get frustrating like just one of those things that like i again another instance where i want to throw money at them and this is like i guess i have a couple more points i want to bring because i promise because again we're, we're getting close to a cinematis levels of recording hours um it, it's okay i did go to docking bay seven which is one of the like quick service restaurants um i got a ronto roaster which is like the signature food like quick service food of galaxy's edge it's essentially like imagine a gyro but instead of like lamb slash mystery meat it's kielbasa it was fine like like it, it was i think it was like 14 or 15 dollars was it overpriced yes 
but it tasted fine. Like imagine a gyro, but instead of like lamb mystery meat, it's a kielbasa. It was, it was neat. It was fine. Um, Rachel got some form of like fried chicken, but like, it was like a cube with macaroni and cheese and broccoli. Um, she said it tasted good. I didn't try any of it. Gotta trust her word for it. Uh, one thing I will say, which was something that actually when I went to Galaxy's Edge on the 18th was novel that had not happened before. When you walk next to the Colin Trevorrow TIE Fighter and the First Order cargo business, whatever it's called, there was this giant empty space that had a bunch of like topiary plants in front of it. And Rachel like asked me, she's like, what, what's that? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, it's an empty spot in the wall. Like something clearly is going to go in there at one point. And then that night, like I saw my uh, Twitter feed, um, apparently that's going to be the uh, docking location for the Galactic Star Cruiser. That's going to be the slot Ooh. where the uh, shuttle that when it departs the Galactic Star Cruiser, when it docks in Batu, that's where it's going to let all the people off. And apparently the 18th was the first day uh, Disney, uh, I don't want to say unveiled it because it basically is literally a hole in the wall, like legit. It is a hole in the wall that's being blocked by plants. Um, yeah, that had uh, that had never been like unveiled before, so we got to ex- experience it. Um, I, I cannot uh, put that in. Uh, oh God, lowercase letters as much as I can. Experience a literal hole in the wall that was blocked by plants. Um, I'm trying to think what else was there. Um, like I said, the uh, walking around, it, it's cute. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Just like just kind of walking around. They're really, uh, I will say, Chris, that I, I know we've talked about it a few times now over the last couple of months that like when you get to experience the Falcon, you get to experience it in the same way that like Luke uh, uh, and uh, Obi-Wan and the droids do. That must be Disneyland's version because when you approach the Money and Falcon in Orlando, it does not appear that way. It, it, it's not that angle. You do not experience it that same way. As someone who's six foot tall, maybe I'm missing something here, uh, but that is, you do not experience it the way that they do kind of like turning a corner and you like walk into like this docking bay. It, it, it is not that. Interesting. You wouldn't, you'd think they wouldn't put so much emphasis on it might be, that design it might choice. Be the, it might be the Disneyland version though. So I can't, I can't attack them because technically Disneyland's version did open before Orlando's. So it's very well possible that whatever promo video they, they, they threw that line into could be their version. I, I, I know there are some differences like that and they're more aesthetic. Yeah, I haven't, anything else. I haven't looked at it deeply. I just think I think the layout is like very slightly smaller at the Disneyland one. But um, but, you know, it, you, this is a, this has been cool. You gave me a lot to I don't I don't know if there's anything else you well, want to cover. You gave me a lot to is, think about. Okay, I want to give my overall ruling on Galaxy's Edge, or rating maybe. Um, And then there's one final thing I just got to tell Zanger as the uh, unofficial correspondent for uh, Marvel, like Disney nonsense on the Zangness podcast, I think he will find interesting. Yay. Um, So overall rating on uh, Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire Outpost. Um, I, I think... As a Star Wars fan, it is a very purifying experience. I think if you are a very cynical Star Wars fan and you go in with an open mind, it will wash away a lot of those cynical thoughts. Um, I, I think if, you have to walk in with an open mind, though. 
you do have to walk in with an open mind and let them kind of like be like you they're like you're standing on the beach and let the waves crash over you um if you walk in there wanting to hate it i think you will um I also think as a theme park, again, this is the three different layers on rate, much like in the beginning of this episode, there's the Star Wars fan rating, the theme park rating, and the general just populace rating. As a Star Wars fan, I think it, it can win you over easily. Um, but you have to walk in with an open mind. Um, as a theme park fan, I think the potential is there. It just needs to be refined a little bit more. I think that there's a lot of fun to be had, but like they need to really step up their game. Again, fix the fix the animatronics, fix the mechanics of, of the, the like the Millennium Falcon thing when it comes to like levers and stuff. Um, make it make it palatable. Um, make it like again, not I don't want to say make it more like lowest common denominator though, but really like make it like like the lightsabers tell people about the idea like okay you can have this mailed to you so people don't have to worry about like will this fit on a ride like like part of me was wondering how the hell do you fit this on rock and roller coaster starring aerosmith there's literally there's nowhere to put it like like what do you do and plus i remember uh in the zangness episode with ellie we talked about lockers there's no lockers that fit the lightsabers they don't have four foot long uh cubby holes so i don't know what you would have done like i got lucky and didn't build this thing until 7 15 at night what happens if you start building this thing at nine o'clock in the morning? Like, what do you have to do? Sit there, bring it out to your car or hope that like you have someone that doesn't want to go on the rise and now hold it, hold on to it for you. A lot of logistical stuff that they have not figured out or they don't care about. Well, you uh, just go, you just go straight to the, the first order FedEx. Well, they, they haven't communicated that to you. So how do you know? Um, it's one of those things where they, they, again, it goes back to like logistical operations. It's just, communicate the benefits of your of what you're doing to the audience um like rob always says swipe your credit card here to have your lightsaber shipped back to uh, your home planet uh and then lastly as a just general member of the populace um the only reason ever since 2002 disney has been in constant search of something that will be a harry potter killer relative to universal studios they tried it with avatar it didn't work um I've never experienced a uh, Hogsmeade or uh, oh God, what's it? Uh, oh God, Diagon Alley. I have not experienced God those. Dang, the level of butcher that just went into that sentence. Okay, let me. Okay, let me. Let me try take two. Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley. Better. Thank you, Zenger. Um, I I think considering the for those of you who don't know the 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 story is the anecdote is that. Universal Studios Orlando expected their return on investment for Hogsmeade to be two years. They got that in three months because Hogsmeade was a runaway success in 2010. I don't think that Galaxy's Edge and Black Spire Outpost is going to be that for, for them. I, I don't think so. Not with I, that attitude. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I don't think this is that for the same reason why Harry Potter fans, much like Ellie, Go there for that like one-to-one experience of being in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I don't think it's that for Star Wars fans. I don't think it's that one-to-one experience. I do think, and this is my final point, and I promise to shut up and let Chris, Chris Zenger or Joe wrap up this, this discussion. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be that for them for the time being. I will say 
that between Star Tours and Galaxy's Edge at Hollywood Studios, there's a very, very specific plot of land that is themed to the Muppets. That is the last remnant of like the New York Streets of America area. And what I think it is, at some point, whether it be a year, five years, a decade from now, that area is going to become Mandalorian themed. With I, I, it's one of those things where I'm calling it now. I could be wrong. I don't think I will be. That area is so out of place because like we walked in between that area at least four times in our stay. And every single time Rachel turned around to me and she goes, this area is so cool. Why doesn't it fit in with anything else? And I said, honey, what you're looking at is the remnants of an extinct park. Everything that this was built around is gone. And I, and considering that like while we were there, the longest wait time Muppet Vision had was 10 minutes. And that essentially is walk on. Um, I think within the next five years, they are going to demolish that. And that will become either Navarro or something from a current or future Disney plus Star Wars show. Like I remember telling, cause like my girlfriend, Rachel, she knows all about baby Yoda, Grogu, Rob, like everybody else has brainwashed her into calling him big whiskey. Yeah. Um, um, so she kept saying, where is big whiskey? And I was like, there is no big whiskey. There is no Mandalorian. There is no Cara Dune. There's no, none of them. And I a hundred percent think they are either going to demolish the Muppets or I don't think, I think they're going to leave Star Tours alone. Star Tours is working well enough. They're going to leave that alone, but there's enough real estate in that Muppet vision remnants of streets of America within the next five years. That's going to be turned into Mandalorian or Kenobi world. It's going to be one or the other. It's just going to be tattooing. It's uh, it's, 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 gonna be Espa. It, it's completely inexplicable that there's no big whiskey. No one is surprised that there's no Cardoon. Well, well, okay. A year ago, we would have been surprised if there was no Cardoon. Well, I think there's, there, there's like a augmented reality, big whiskey photo up somewhere around Tatooine traders. Maybe you missed that, but um, I've seen pictures of that. I don't doubt it, but like, it's the whole idea that like, Considering that Grogu, Big Whiskey, like I, I, it's funny. Rachel and I had a game like we did to keep ourselves amused as we were walking around. We called it Big Whiskey Punch Buggy. Every single time we saw someone wearing a Big Whiskey piece of merchandise, we punched each Ooh. other, and like literally, we probably looked like uh, oh god, say the masochist with the amount of bruises on each other's arms that day. Like he, like there is more big whiskey. Like if you're looking for just one specific character when it comes to merchandise, there is no other character that's featured on more merchandise in that park than big whiskey. Like even Boba Fett, like there was like outside of like the two or three t-shirts and that like Boba Fett armor and jetpack hoodie, not even close to the amount of big whiskey merchandise running around Hollywood studios and just even Disney Springs too. So that's that's my final word on Galaxy's Edge is I don't think it's the Harry Potter killer that Disney wanted to be, that they've been kind of chasing the dragon over for a decade plus now. Um, I think it's a Star Wars fan. It is rewarding. And eventually Muppets, the whole Muppets and the last remnants of Streets of America will be demolished for a some Disney plus level 
area, whether it be uh, Mandalorian or Kenobi, it, they're just biding their time because they, they just, they need more experiences. They, they clearly there's demand, even though it's not Harry Potter level, there is demand and they don't have the capacity for it. Well, you've, I'm right now sort of debating whether I try and uh, get into the Disneyland one before celebration. It's probably a horrible idea. I should probably just wait and go to the Florida one another time. But you've made the choice even harder. Like if this was if you'd come back very disappointed and and uh, and cynical about the whole thing, it, you would have made my my travel plans a lot easier. So I've got a lot to think about. It's it's a lot. And I will say that, like. Today, after being home now for 24 hours, I did calculate the entire cost of this. Um, I will say this was for a two-day stay at not even one of the more expensive Disney resorts. I have to say when it came to the Disney Dolphin, I did get a solid deal going through Priceline. Um, Between that, the tickets, um, like rental car, plane tickets – you are talking about in the ballpark of like a, a $2,000 cost, give or take. Uh, and that's just two people for two days. And we, and we, like I said, we, we did do everything right. We weren't cheap with anything. Like when it came to eating, clearly we ate in the park twice in one day, which is not a uh, cost effective thing to do. Um, but I will say that like, if, if you are going to do this, this is not something you do every single day. You do this once. It's that typical Disney spiel. Disney has it down to a science that most people go to those parks once every three point seven years. Um, that was my philosophy. I had not been. I've not been inside an actual Disney park since two thousand seven. So I wanted to do this right, and my wallet is proof of that, <laughs> or or the contents lack thereof of my wallet. Yeah, that's sort of what I was expecting. And I think uh, you you were actually, by all accounts, it sounds like you were pretty responsible about your approach. You you don't have a Palpatine cloak or anything silly like that. So you did that a good looks, job. That, the only thing I really regret that I didn't buy was the Loth cat, the blue Loth cat that hisses. Like that's the only thing that like really I think about it. And I'm like, there's also a practical aspect too, because I'm like, how can I fit that in my carry-on? <laughs> How could I have practically like fit this like 14 by eight inch by like six inch, like stuffed animal in my carry on bag that hisses. It is baffling to me that that is the standout item to you, but to each their own, (laughs) I I haven't seen it. I don't, I haven't had a good look at this product. Uh, Joe, are you still, are you still there? Do you have any final, final remarks for Zach before we question is Joe, how many, how many flights on the galactic star cruiser have you booked since we started recording this? I would say that it's a big fat zero. (laughs) I, what, what it seems to me is like they're, what they're missing in execution is because they have too much intellectual property. It seems like they're scattered. They don't know what to do with it. It seems like they're, you know, before it was easy, you know, put up a princess, make that princess, hire the actress for the princess. And there you go. You know, they, they redid the whole Disney world and frozen when frozen came out. It doesn't seem like they, they have that, that feel to it anymore. It's like they're, they have too much and they're going in too many different directions. And that's what's causing them to, to miss out on a bunch of different things that they used to capitalize on. I, w- I will say Galaxy's Edge really does feel like a shotgun approach. It feels 
like they're trying to like cover all their bases and you lose something in the process of that. But that's it in a nutshell. Cause you said it yourself. You had so many, you were looking to get so many awesome things and what happened? You didn't get them because they weren't there. Yep. And any other trip you had before, if you wanted something that you knew was at Disney, you were able to get it. Yep. But I agree. Um, but one thing I will say, though, like, and this is something that, like, I made fun of, like, in previous recordings, and I kind of can't wait to see, like, Chris's face once I say this. But, like, is anybody who, who's friends with me on Facebook or who's in the Night's Ear Facebook group, that picture of me in front of the Millennium Falcon with the lightsaber at dusk, guess what? I, I am just as guilty as the rest of them. I, I got the social media image that... It, that alone is worth it. Like, I, like I, I'm just as guilty as charged. Like, I, I am a hypocrite. I can see that. That picture, it was worth it. it did it cost me uh, more money than I could, like, I ever could think of a picture could cost? Yes. Yes, it did. But is it neat to look at? Was it fun to sit there pose for a picture at dusk in front of the Money and Falcon with a lightsaber? Absolutely. I, I am just as guilty as the rest of them. I really thought I, this could go either way. And uh, once I saw you post that up, I had a pretty clear idea of how this conversation was going to go. I'm really glad that you had a good time because, you know, it's it's an ordeal and it's expensive to not have a good time. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad it seems to live up to what I thought it would be. And I'm also glad I haven't visually spoiler alerted myself too hard on the experience so far. Uh, it was great, great hearing about all that. One last, this is, this will be my parting words for Galaxy's Edge. Um, I thought Zenger read the book Black Spire Outpost, but the character who found like Black Spire Outpost, Vimarati, what as we were walking out of Smuggler's Run, was a walk around character under the, under the Millennium Falcon, and I got a picture of this character, and I want it on the record that I have never, never in my time at Disney ever seen a walk around character look as angry as this character has. And I'm putting it in the Facebook chat right now, just so everybody can look at it in real time. I've never seen a cast member look this disgruntled before. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Am I wrong, Joe? Am I wrong? No. She really looks like she's like how it's like, it's like you can hear her internal monologue. It's like, she's like, you might be wondering how I got here. <laughs> it's, it's like that moment, Zanger, from uh, the robot chicken. Like, was it the, the third special? It's like you hear like, oh, God, yeah. was it Bob O'Reilly? Yeah. You hear, like the yeah. guitar riff. Yeah, me, me, me and one of my coworker friends like, like, like have the ongoing joke of whenever something dumb happens, we just sit there and it's like, this is the moment where it freeze frames. And it goes, I bet you're wondering how I got into this situation. Well, let me tell you where it all starts. And yeah, that that is that freeze frame there. Uh, my, my only comment on this is, I mean, Ellie's pointed out, and you both, and you have too, that this is an experience. And that makes me, like, if, if I ever get the chance to go, I'm excited. Like, I'd, I'd love to be told, you know, like, oh, we used to, you know, use these to degrease um, uh, pod racers or stuff like that. Or, you know, oh, it's basically, like... Stuff like that, those nice little touches, and knowing that the that the uh, what cast members take that time and effort to do that is really cool. 
glad you had a fun time, Zach, but I can't wait for you to go to Dune World. Coming to your local Six Flags, I guess. I don't know where oh, they God. put that. that. I feel like Dune would be a Six Flags experience. It's like Action Park. It's just a <laughs> sand pit. It's just a god dang sand pit. It's a sandbox, not even a pit. I got to tell you, Zach, when, when, you, when I first heard you were going to go down there, I thought we weren't going to get you back. I thought you oh, were going to be a, a death stick dealer and one of the character actors that are going to be there. I, hey, want a death stick? I, I, I will say that at one point, like when we were waiting to get into Savi's workshop and the cast members talking about, uh, like talking to us all like in character, like I kind of really leaned into it. I'm like, do I want to be that jerk and try to like beat the person at their own job by like my own understanding of the lore? And I'm just like, let's do it a little. Like, I'm not going to be obnoxious about it, though, but I'm going to sit there kind of like beat my chest in front of the other group of 11 people who also spent $200 and be like, yeah, I understand it's probably better than the rest of you combined. And that was to stroke one's ego. That was nice. Like, it's nice to do this in a forum where I'm not the only person that's like a Star Wars like goober. But in, in, a, in a world... Zach Weber, would you be a character actor in that? Oh, oh, I right. It's funny. As somebody who knows Rachel in real life, what Joe knows, um, like at one point there's like stormtroopers above. Like, I think I said there's like this land speeder like platform, and it's like like being in a job interview and like, where do you see yourself in twenty years? Like a mat, like, I, I have a little right like, like cartoon bubble above my head. And it's like stormtrooper at Disney World just yelling at people. Oh yeah, I would be that person, like hundred percent. Like, I because so, some of the people, like if you're a la- like, because again, like every single role that they have some of these cast members in is so specific. Like some of them are allowed to play with like lore. Some of them are allowed to engage with like guests. Um, if I was allowed to be one of those where I could sit there have some fun with people, oh, absolutely. But like, I think we've talked about what before, Chris. Like the stormtroopers only have like what like pre-recorded sayings. They like push like a button like on their wrist, like what wrist gauntlet that allows them to like, like say specific things at a certain moment. They have like what, maybe like, like a dozen phrases um, that, I, that I could be fun, but I think it'd be like that guy who I interacted with at the uh, Savi's workshop. Um, I think that would be a fun thing. Cause he really like knew his stuff. It was fun to like go back and forth to him about like off world travel and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I said, like, it, I, I don't know. But I do have to say, though, like part of me too, like not to get away from Star Wars, but like the tw- like the Tower of Terror, like cast members as like the elevator operators, that is the truly fun job because they are hamming it up to like the umpteenth degree. And the whole time I'm just like, like I'm not an actor by any means, but like I know how to play into something if, if the time requires it, that I could get behind. That I wonder I if they actually get dressed in their Stormtrooper armor at home or they have like a locker room there's they wouldn't let anybody off like property with that joe you know that there's no way it comes home or, like, or go, helmet off give back. the kiss a, give a kiss to the wife be like so i'll see you i'll see you at seven honey like zanger do you want to explain to joe the uh robot chicken sketch like regarding that oh uh, what the, the one where it's the has to take his daughter to work <laughs> yep yeah yeah it's, ba- it's basically the joke is um Turk from uh, Scrubs has to take his daughter to work with him, and it's like them um, getting the Tantivy five, four, five. I'm up too late. Um, them, them getting that, and then Vader choking. It's like poor so and so had to bring his daughter to work and everything, and chokes him out in front of her. And he like, I think, 
there's a few other things that happen. Anyways, um, due to wearing a helmet before, I'm going to tell you this right now. Those things have zero visibility, so there's no way you're driving with those on. Um, you get a bus and they pick them all up. It's like going to school. They're all in their stormtrooper uniforms. Or, or a shuttle. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, not to steal the thunder away from Chris or Zenger, but are there any other questions, questions, comments, concerns, snide remarks regarding uh, Galaxy's Edge and Tons. Black Spire Outpost? <laughs> I don't doubt it. Zenger, okay, this is my thing. I, Joe, I think Joe would find it amusing, but I don't. I think Joe would almost have to be kind of like dragged there by Blaster Point. Um, Zenger, you will goddamn eat this up. You will eat, I think, like, like, like five minutes in the cantina and you would lose your mind for the better. Um, Chris, I think Chris will find the redeemable aspects of it. I, I think he would overall rate it a net positive, but I think it would be almost too close for comfort. But no, I think I have, I have the three of you. And if Russ were here, I think, I think Russ would lose his mind no matter what, especially with his kids. Um, Zenger, I think it's like almost like in a vacuum. Zenger would love it. I, uh, I'd, I'd literally be chewing scenery probably. <laughs> Very quickly, like Zenger not, really has his teeth around like the faux a, like a wing that's just sitting there, sir. You're not allowed by the gate. Zenger's like, I thought you may have come out me chewing this right now. <laughs> me freeze framing, jumping off of it. But you're wondering how I got here, <laughs> oh sir. Stop God. narrating yourself while we're chasing you. <laughs> Where'd that riff of Bob O'Reilly come from? That's <laughs> oh, my ringtone. <laughs> oh my perfect. god oh another god. perfect episode zach take us out uh so concludes this episode of knights of vader a star wars podcast check out the facebook group knights of vader where you'll see all sorts of pictures comments and memes about your favorite galaxy and uh other star wars nonsense uh Instagram at KLV podcast. Chris will definitely be uh, taking a lot of my pictures and he posts them on there along with his own cute little infographics. Absolutely. Uh, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Uh, if you're interested in other Zach shenanigans, check out the Cinemodies podcast where I have no idea when Rob's uploading it, but we did talk about the Twilight Zone Jordan Peele thing, which oddly enough connects to the Tower of Terror. And there's also the Matrix Resurrections discussion, which Rob and I recorded twice. So uh, look forward to that. Um, beyond that, there is... My co-host, Mr. Joe Yazo, when you are not listening to your co-host recount their vacation through slides, what are you up to? Uh, they probably find me next time they listen to the podcast, hopefully, on uh, for the episode five of Book of Boba Fett. Coming to you soon. Coming soon to the nearest uh, Vesper nearest you, or Vespa. Yes. Um, Zanger. I have to ask, as a listener of Zengness, when are we getting the No Way Home discussion? Um, when's it going to be available on Disney Plus? A while, because that's not okay. technically a Disney movie. Well, on demand in March. Hmm. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so there's your is answer this, is to this, that. Has 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 Ellie seen No Way Home yet? Uh, actually. The most recent episode of Zygnus reveals where all of us are with our uh, Marvel watching. Okay. 
I, I, I only have to ask because I wonder if this is going to be like Endgame 2.0. Where like no, no, like, no, no. Ellie's just like, Garfield who? There's a president in this Spider-Man movie? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we'll, 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 we will get to it. Um, the, the, the other thing is I was like, oh, yeah, we need to watch the other uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man movie. And she goes, we already watched uh, Far From Home. And I'm like, no, Black Widow. Wait, Zenger, has there there been, uh, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Has there been a Zeng this episode on the Eternals? No, there's a very, very derogatory comment about the Eternals by by, uh, Eric, our host, who was not impressed. So you get his review of it. Zenger, if you ever get to the Eternals, like let this be another like, oh God, like Crimes of Grindelwald or whatever. Can I can I please be on the Eternals episode, please? I mean, since you were on the Dune, Dune Iraq, Chris is Chris is like editing this part out. Uh, yes, I, I, I will make a mental note of that to All not right. do an episode based on that, so I don't have to fulfill this promise. Uh, yes, of course you can find Zignus where you find great podcasts where you cover all nerdy topics. Uh, Zing Wars will be making a comeback soon Ooh. with some Ooh. more. That doesn't exist. No, that doesn't exist. That's a lie. It's fake news. No, that, that there's no such thing as Zeng Wars. No. That, also, check the- out um Zing uh um uh, a, a rack this, which is our all Dune related podcast oh, that we're going to be oh, starting God. soon. That's even, somehow it's even worse than Zeng Wars. I didn't know you could <laughs> somehow scrape below the barrel. All right, Chris, when you are not listening to the Zeng Wars or Zeng Arachnus podcast, or, 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 what are you up to? Arachnus. No, Arach nothing. Chris, what are you up to? As Zach said earlier, go ahead and follow at KOV Podcast on Instagram, and you can check out my personal page at the Chris Porteous on Instagram, and you'll probably find me back here talking about Chapter 5 of the brief illustrated pamphlet of Robert A. Fett. All righty, folks. And with that... <laughs> And with that being said, um, I really hope that if anyone listens to the Cinematis of uh, Spider-Man episodes and Rob found the clip from uh, uh, Far From Home where I forget who it is says, so guys, enjoy the next four hours of your life because that is as long as this episode is going to be. Four hours. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, may the force be with you. Oh, 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 o